lot of Bob's Burgers, so all of my noises lately are Tina-inspired. <laughs> I was just watching um, an episode of Family Guy from a couple seasons back where it's uh, the guy that voices Bob and, and Archer. H. John I can't remember Bem- the guy. H. John yeah, Benjamin. H. John Benjamin. And, uh, and he also voices a character on Family Guy. He gets up and does like a stand-up act where he does impressions of Archer and Bob from Bob's Burgers. Amazing. That's amazing. Hey, what would a conversation be like if those two guys met? Hey, Bob, I'm Archer. Hey, Archer, I'm Bob. That's awesome. There was an <laughs> it was, Archer... It was super meta. <laughs> there was an Archer crossover episode with Bob's Burgers, but he was Bob. And yeah, was, yeah. Like, human. It was real weird <laughs> and real great. Yeah. That's awesome, too, because he, like, kills a bunch of people in front of the family. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really hysterical. Yeah, Bob's Burgers is one of those ones I just haven't gotten into yet. It's really fun. Yeah, we'll see. Someday. Someday. All right. Well, that uh, with that preamble out of the way, let's get going, everybody. Welcome back to Dance Robot Dance, our seventy eighth episode. Uh, it's gonna be gonna be a tough one, probably for some people to get through, which is apropos. But we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, there should be like a prize or something for people that actually get to the end of this one. Maybe it's like the uh, the old Marvel no prize kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or the uh, the Baldy. Yeah, on the DC side of the aisle. Yep. Yeah. So with me this afternoon, evening, I guess I've uh, obviously got. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you? Where <laughs> I've uh, got Mark. Hey guys, how's it going? And we also have Christy. Sup, sup. And I am Tim, and I will be hosting this dark pathway into oblivion. But before we get into the uh, the deep darkness of the human condition, let's uh, start off with a very small bit of news, just because. It's only been like three days since we last recorded, folks, so there's not going to be that much stuff to cover. But that being said, let's see what I have. Oh, apparently Runaways has been renewed. Nice. Not surprising anybody. No. So, yeah, I mean, it's not even through its first season yet. Apparently, also in the same article here, it's saying that Inhumans is still just up in the air. Nobody will come right out and say that it's canceled. Nobody will come right out and say that it's renewed. It's not renewed. I don't know yeah. how, like, how are they going to renew that and, like, do anything with it? I don't understand. They would have to, like, almost just, like, reboot re- it. Yeah, like, re- not maybe not, like, completely reboot it, but, like, it would have to be a really significant, like, rejigging in order for anybody to give it, like, have any confidence in it. Yeah. You know, like, maybe take one or two of the original cast members and try and do something that's a complete, like, tangent or offshoot or something like that. I don't know. I have no idea how I would. For, even especially the way the season ended, I don't know how I would format any of that at that point. Yeah, I'm actually watching the season of Agents of Shield, and uh, for the, anybody that hasn't been watching it yet, um, they jump like 70, 80 years in the future, um, which has been kind of interesting. Like it's very different than the last couple seasons have been, but there's still it's not like a really key plot point. But there are Inhumans in the future, and it's actually yeah. like they're doing something marginally interesting within humans, which nobody has really seemed to be able to do yet. So um, it might be because it's not like really crucial to the storyline, but it's it's something, anyways. I still, I, I mean, they have X Men back. They may as well just give up on the Inhumans thing now, right? Yeah. Like, I think, I think it's over. I think someone somewhere is just like, no, this is going to work. Damn it. 
I yeah. will I will pour in the money. I will I will put in the time. And they're all like, dude, you just gotta let it go. And he's like, No, my dad is a producer here. Like uh, my dad yeah, yeah. is Ron Howard. Like, I don't know. There's just like <laughs> There's some there's somebody at Marvel Studios who just has a massive fucking Man, boner for yeah. humans, like just all the time. And I don't know. I've never like they never had a book that's lasted very long either. They usually run like they might get up to like 30 or 40 issues and then get canceled kind of thing. And I think they just got canceled in the big Marvel did a, uh, had a big run of like cancellations like a couple weeks ago. And I'm pretty sure the Inhumans book that was out was one of the ones that was on the chopping block too. So I'm not sure, but I did, I did see like that big slew of cancellations and there was some stuff in there that a lot of people weren't too happy about, but Oh no, I was pissed about the She-Hulk cancellation along with like the rest of the internet. So yeah, I think Gwenpool got canceled too. It got a lot of a lot of uh, anger at that too. So, but uh, yeah, no, I mean it was like kind of inconsistent. Apparently, I don't read Gwenpool, so I don't know. But like, yeah, it, apparently it kind of floated all over the place a little bit. Like there's a lot of creative turnover and stuff. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean the this the season of Agents of Shield so far has been pretty interesting. Like there's the the Kree have basically like subjugated the remnants of humanity and are essentially trying to breed new and humans from them. That's cool. Uh, which is kind of neat. So yeah. So anybody that hasn't, you know, sort of gave up on agents of shield this season has been solid so far. I've been meaning to go back. They, uh, they did ghost rider last year. I just, like I watched that one episode and then kind of like bounced on it. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back and like, catch up, but yeah, last ups last season was uneven. Yeah. I, the, it was season. I, w- I got through season two, but then season three was just like, this is a, I'm, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, mm-hmm. I'm out. So let's see, what was the other stuff? Well, th- this is also Marvel related, but kind of ended up being a non news item. Um, I saw Keith with kids sharing this as well. Did you see this uh, blow up over this Black Panther Disney pin? No. Oh, yeah, but like. Oh. So it's, it's just somebody somebody who does our job who did not do our job very proper yeah, exactly. well. Let's put it that way. So what it started out as is um for those of our listeners that don't know, Disney has like these little ceramic not ceramic and metal pins. Uh, I guess Clazone or something like that is the style. And you buy them for like 10 bucks and people trade them. And it's a whole big fucking collector racket. And that I am 100% a part of. (laughs) (laughs) I've got like a binder full of the fucking things. But now that they've got like all these Lucasfilm and Marvel properties, they have been releasing pins for those as well. And they released one for the ahead of the Black Panther movie that was basically just like Black Panther's head in the mask. And the skin around his eyes, like in between his eyeballs and the mask in this image that got posted was like, looked like a white person's skin. And then the internet went insane. And then it turned out that somebody just took a picture with flash that made it look a lot lighter than it actually was. Yeah. It's pretty ridiculous, but I mean, at the same time, you should probably be careful with those color tones, guys, when you're putting those things out, because yeah. if you're not checking those finals before they go out the door, you got a problem. Somebody should be doing quality well, control. Well, it's just like somebody posted this shit to Twitter or something, right? And that's, yeah, you yeah. know, and then the internet caught wind of it and then explode kind of thing. Yeah. Twitter's where uh, I follow a lot of comic book creators and stuff, so that got posted around a lot this weekend. I think a lot of people were just like, I have that pin. It's fine, so stop it. Because guys <laughs> actually work for Marvel that were like, no, I have that pin because I'm working on Black Panther right now, and they sent it to me, and it's fine. Don't worry about yeah. it. I took a picture without Flash and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. I'm not an idiot, but you know, <laughs> the internet... So there's that line. There's some, there's a line in, in some show about like people, like a person is smart, but people are stupid. Yes. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> the internet being a group of people, 
a bunch of fucking idiots. Yeah. So I'll just shake my head. Um, shake. let's see. <laughs> the Golden Globes happened last night. Uh, either either you guys watch it? I watched parts of it this morning. I don't. I don't do award shows generally speaking. So. I, I used to watch them really intently, but ever since I sort of started dropping off on like you know more dramatic kind of films, uh, I've stopped watching, or I, I just have sort of trailed off on watching award shows. So I haven't watched the last couple of years. Part of it is I just like the fucking jokes that people poke at each other and shit like that. Like I loved when yeah. R- Ricky Gervais was doing the golden globes. That was fucking amazing. Cause he would like take no prisoners. Yeah. But yeah, anymore I don't, but there were some pretty notable sort of nerdy winners. Uh, most notably, I would say was that Guillermo del Toro's shape of water won best director or he won best director yeah. for shape yeah. of water. Yeah, I got I still got to sit down and finish watching that. So yeah. I didn't get is it, it. Is it good? I was enjoying it, but I yeah, I had to do something else, so. Yeah, I was thinking cause I'm I'm traveling for work the next couple of days and I was thinking like, oh, I'll try see if it's still in theaters. Uh, I'm going to like uh, Greenville, South Carolina and I guess it's not still in theaters there, so um, really i thought it just got a wide release like a week ago yeah i don't know i mean may- atlanta probably still has theaters that are showing it but i couldn't find it showing anywhere there so i know there are screenings around here but that's like we're, we're so fucking theater saturated around here it's yeah there's probably movies from two years ago that are still playing around here somewhere yeah, so. exactly so but yeah i mean great great for him I, i'm not sure if that's his first like major award as best director. I mean, he's obviously a very celebrated director. I just don't know if he's like, he's not usually the kind of, he doesn't really do the kind of movies that get like Oscars and shit. Although Pan's Labyrinth might've won for something. I don't know. I think, I think Pan's Labyrinth won a lot of like Saturn awards stuff, yeah. like, like on the genre side. That makes sense. Um, I don't remember it breaching over to like golden globes. I could be wrong though. Cause it's been a while. I seem like, did they not win like an art direction or something like that? Maybe at the Oscars? Um, Pan's Labyrinth? I don't remember. Um, so I think they won art direction or best foreign film. So yeah, something like that. So nice. either way. Um, and no, then- it's good for him because he bounces back and forth between doing these like kind of Oscar baity movies and then going back and doing like Just big box office. Yeah. 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 I mean, Pacific Rim is also pretty critically uh, acclaimed as well, though. It's just not you know, an Oscar darling kind of thing. No, no, no. I've never seen it. No, nor have I yet. Oh, really? You guys have neither, neither of you have seen it? It's fine. Like, it's not great, but it's fine. It's on my like, yeah, list of movies I should watch, but it's just kaiju isn't normally a, a big thing for me. So, or like, yeah. it's not like a staple for me like it is for some people. Yeah, I have a little, I have a soft spot for the old like Godzilla stuff. So that was kind of of interest to me. Like, yeah. kind of. Enough that I watched it eventually. So yeah, Handmaid's Tale, which we've discussed on the podcast a few times, also got some love. Uh, they won Best Drama Series, and Elizabeth uh, Moss won Best Actress for her work on Handmaid's Tale. I don't personally know how I feel about that because uh, I've found Handmaid's Tale to be kind of uneven, and I mean it's had some really great stuff, but it's also had some real sort of garbage, heavy-handed shit kind of thing. So, but whatever i mean it's cool to see like genre stuff and sort of dystopian sci-fi kind of stuff getting recognition yeah yeah it's on my like i think i said last week it's on my list of things to watch i I got my i got through my baller season two this weekend but i didn't get through handmaid's tale so yeah christy have you watched handmaid's tale at all not yet i really want to who oh it must have been paul i was gonna say somebody you guys were talking about it yeah okay yeah but i do i do really want to uh want to take it in i just feel like there's so much to catch up with finally finally breaking my list down a little bit but like still a million things yeah. like we just we just watched the seventh episode of runaways last night 
And nice. Well, you're, you're getting close to caught up. There's what two or three more, I think. Nine. There's nine total. I'm still. I, that's. I'm. That's where I'm around. I haven't. I'm pretty far behind on that show. Too. I think you're only one episode behind. I think we're only at uh, episode ten right now. Okay. But yeah, those are the biggest ones in sort of like nerd nerd culture that uh, that we're celebrating. I'm just scrolling through the rest. That's pretty much it. I don't think we really need to cover any more of the Golden Globe stuff. So let's move on to. Um, can we talk about Oprah? <laughs> we can talk about Oprah if you want. That's not necessarily nerdy, but if you want to. No, it's not. But I hope she runs for president. That'd be cool. Oh, this is no Christy. Come on. There's there's part of me that says yes. Let's fucking play this game and i mean oprah would destroy trump i'm pretty sure for many reasons yeah absolutely but that being said she's nowhere near qualified to be president that i mean she's she's Um, clearly a million times better than trump but she has no political experience whatsoever yeah i'm just saying if we're going between oprah and we're looking at the other people who are talking about running like bannon I do. I agree that that Oprah would be an improvement over Trump, but a lot of things would be an improvement over Trump. I mean, a lot of Republican candidates are an improvement over Trump. Literally no president would be an improvement over Trump. So like, yeah. And I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Oprah's Oprah's great. And and obviously would would could do a lot of good. My main concern with her, which I just sort of remembered or was reminded of today is her sort of anti-science engenderment. Uh, like she was part of the reason that Kelly McCarthy got such a stage to talk about how her kid got uh, oh, autism Jenny because McCarthy. of vaccines. What did I say? Jenny McCarthy. Kelly McCarthy. Yeah, Jenny sorry, McCarthy. Jenny McCarthy. And also like yeah, Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz, who's a total Dr. fucking Dr. quack and Dr. Phil, who is questionably kind of a total fucking quack. Yeah. Questionably yeah. actually useful. And I would be concerned how that would turn translate into policy <laughs> if it turns into an all-out fight you want somebody who's going to win the fight yeah. on your side i guess so i mean in that way i i would lean more towards Dwayne than i would <laughs> oprah but that's just me <laughs> but like all all things like all things being equal i would rather have oprah come out and be like you know you guys should really vote for you know p- potential president bernie sanders and like really stump for somebody who has actual political experience yeah or elizabeth warren or or somebody i'd like, be down for that I'd be down for political experience, but I still think that if we're going to choose political experience or empathy, I would choose empathy at this point and let her have some really good people to uh, to back her and teach or her. Or we could have both. Yeah, we could do both. <laughs> well, Bernie would be great, but like the world wasn't ready for Bernie Sanders. Apparently, I agree. And if it it's a, if it's a situation where like that's the only option, the only viable option that people can think of to beat Trump is Oprah, then I'm on board with that. But I think there are other options. Yeah, I guess. I was mostly just really psyched about her speech. Though, like, I'm really pumped that we're talking about women finally and, like, what they've gone through. But it is bothering me that people are like, men don't have any kind of, you know, position to talk about this. And I'm like, well, okay, let's still, let's still, like, we're not going to pretend that men aren't viable members of society. Like, it's, it's, everybody just calm down a little bit. Yeah. I thought her speech was really powerful. I would. That's all I wanted yeah, to say. Absolutely. I, I I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. Same here. I just like I, I I am. I don't think debasing the highest like office in like the free world to a popularity contest is not necessarily the best way to you know. Handle no, things. but I, the reason I think that Oprah would be good is because she's incredibly passionate about being 
better and helping people yeah about helping people about making the world a better place like genuinely she strikes me as someone who genuinely cares about the people and, and could surround herself by a really good group of people as well i think yeah i was just gonna say if, if she was if she did what trump said he was going to do and get the best and brightest people to actually like surround herself with and like i'm pretty sure oprah and obama are pretty tight i'm sure he'd be around to advise yeah. if necessary secretary oh, of state yeah. or something like that or me I don't know if he wants to get back into like a full-time position, but I think it looks like he's enjoying his quasi-retirement yeah. these days. But I mean, I'd be happy with Tom Hanks as a vice president oh, for God. a little while as a joke, but like <laughs> not for real. <laughs> I think you run, honestly, you want to, you want to win 2020. I think you run Oprah and the rock as the VP. <laughs> Call it. Oh man, that'd be pretty just, crazy. Just as long as we don't get uh, Dr. Oz surgeon general. That is horrifying. That's already, see, that's, that's a worrisome, that's worrisome to me. You're right. <laughs> But maybe we'll all get free cars, or the Americans will all get free cars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did see somebody saying that. Like, I want to hear Oprah going, you get a tax break, you get a tax break, everybody gets a tax break! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then the very last piece of news that I had for this week was a little Ridley Scott interview where he says that he's got an idea for a uh, follow-up movie to Blade Runner 2049 that he is ready to develop if anybody is interested. I think Dennis Villeneuve also has an idea for a couple other Blade Runner 2049 sequels that are probably never going to get made at this point. So yeah. unfortunately, I think that movie underperformed vastly enough that there's not much chance that it's going to get a... Was it that bad another big budget performer? I, like, it didn't do amazing. Yeah. But I thought it... I didn't think it, like, bombed. I think domestic, it raked in, like, $40 million on a $150 million budget, and oh. it did about the same uh, internationally. So I don't think it was... Uh, gonna go and like get a sequel based on anything except for like people like the critical acclaim might bounce that back and have to see what the the home video kind of like streaming numbers are but even then it's like Mm -hmm. uh not looking like we might be waiting another 25 years for somebody to touch blade runner again you know what i mean so Uh, i mean part of me is okay with that part of me thinks after having seen blade runner 2049 like fuck if they can keep making movies like that then keep doing it yeah, I wish I totally would. Yeah, I, like I, again, I just rewatched it again, and I'm all for it. So I'd like I'd love the shit out of that movie. I don't understand. I understand why it didn't perform well, though. Like it is not a well. Um, it did two hundred. It's not a box office breaker. Yeah, it, it probably yeah. about broke even. Like it, uh, the budget was somewhere between one hundred and fifty to one hundred and eighty, and it made about two hundred and sixty internationally. So, oh, did it do that well internationally? Well, oh, it, uh, just total, total, weekend. like overall box office was around two hundred and sixty million. So, yeah, you know what? You know what the accounting fuckery in Hollywood's like, though, right? Yeah, like, I mean that that's to me nor would say like that it probably around broke even, which by box office or by Hollywood standards means it was a failure, but doesn't necessarily preclude never making another one ever again, kind of thing. I guess also when you factor in like the amount of critical like lauding it got mm-hmm. and not just from our podcast, I mean, cause since we are such a uh, established and well-recognized <laughs> outlet, just media in general. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it did get a lot of like positive press yeah. um, in terms of like how it was put together and stuff like that. Like what's this Metacritic? It's gotta be above. It was it 89 or something like that. That uh, was really high. Um, it was really high. And it's all so. already won a bunch of awards and is up for even more. Uh, satellite awards and 
Yeah, it'll probably get nominated at the Oscars for a bunch of technical shit because I don't see how anything else this year could rival it for that. Yeah, so exactly. Even Star Wars was like as amazing as Star Wars was. I think like Blade Runner was a better looking and better put together movie. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't. I, I mean, I didn't see anything in the Golden Globes for it, but even even in like the technical awards, maybe it wasn't. Nope. It might not have hit the deadline for the Golden That's Globes. True. Yeah, it so. might might show up next year's or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, we'll we'll see where that goes anyways. But yeah, that was, unless you guys had anything to add, that was all the news that I had for the week. Nope. Mm-mm. All right. Well, then let us move on in record time to our Geek of the Week. Geek of the Week. Geek. <laughs> Geek. Geek. I think Christy's doing a Jaws thing. We're gonna, yeah, we're, yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to need a bigger microphone. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Uh, since since Mark is so enthused by our jingle, uh, our sting there, let's have Mark go first. Mark, what was the geekiest thing you've done since Friday? <laughs> Friday, yeah. Uh, edited and posted the podcast, I guess. is probably the geekiest thing you did. What did I do this weekend? I can't remember anymore. Oh, I guess I, I mean, I watched Baller Season 2. It's probably like the thing I spent the most time mm. doing. So I caught up to that. It was terrible. I was really <laughs> disappointed with it. Um, so Dwayne let you down? What? Yeah, what's Baller? It's, um, you never seen, you never heard of Baller? The show, Ballers the show Mark so- wouldn't watch if Dwayne wasn't on it. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. It's so <laughs> way outside my wheelhouse uh, otherwise. It's a, it's entourage with NFL players instead of uh, Hollywood actors, pretty much. Oh, okay. and the rock and the rocks in it um so i have to watch also rob cordry though who is hilarious usually in it yeah didn't get didn't get a lot to work with this year yeah i would uh i like the first season i would recommend the first season um everything after that's been downhill slowly but surely is there an episode where they do like a bunch of coke and go to a strip club yep oh yeah okay. yeah that episode i saw i saw somebody watching that on a plane like i was a couple rows behind them and i could like see yeah. it between the gaps in the seats and i was like what the fuck movie is that but apparently it was baller. Well, you just because you saw Rob Corddry and The Rock in the middle of all. Yeah, of it? exactly. Yeah. Like, and I wouldn't normally. I don't normally associate The Rock with TV projects, right? So I was just assuming it was yeah. a movie that I hadn't heard about. Yeah, well, it's an HBO show, so yeah. he's getting a ton of money to do it because it's his production company. I think that's putting it together for the most part too. Mm-hmm. He's working with. Uh, it's really weird too because I think Mark Wahlberg's an executive producer on the show, which he also was for Entourage. Apparently, I guess he's uh, investing money the other stuff, which is worrisome to be fair <laughs> but that's whatever it was yeah so that's 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 my geek of the week i guess i sat through i guess five hours of ballers and was very disappointed by the end of it so <laughs> oh, i'm sorry yeah Aww. can't all be winners nope nope came on a but you'll still watch the third season assuming it still has the rock in it this was this was the third okay. season I'll, I'll watch season four <laughs> i think that i think season four might be the end so i i'll, I'll watch it till it wraps up yeah. so I sat through the last like three seasons of Californication as that got worse and worse and worse as it, it went did. along. So but that had titties at least. Although I'm assuming this might too, if it's yes, this also this also has uh, anywhere. Hey, yeah, it makes th- things more watchable. It's true. Nice. It's true. Nice boobs. <laughs> and to be fair, like it's not like the guys aren't all super cut and like wandering around shirtless. The oh whole time yeah, too. no, no, I'm sure. And you also you get a lot of 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 uh, like David Duchovny's ass in Californication too. There's that too, yeah. And like this one, if you're into the uh, if you're into the suit porn, like if you're really into like seeing big guys like Dwayne dressed in a suit, then 
Ballers is your kind of show. I know a lot of women who watch it based solely on the fact that that man's vests get tighter every time, like <laughs> a scene cut. Yeah, so, yeah, it's pretty popular for that too. But yeah, there's 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 some titties in that show. So, <laughs> Christy, uh, what was the mm. geekiest thing that you've done this weekend? Uh, I beat Uncharted: The Lost Legacy. Well, didn't you just start it like last week? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's only like. It's like a ten hour, oh, okay. like almost. It was supposed to be. It was supposed to be DLC that game. Yeah, oh, but then okay. it was awesome and not. And it's like a really good Uncharted game. Is it really good? Because like yeah. I've heard mixed things about it. So I have it because it came with the season pass for mm. Uncharted Four. It's sitting yep. on my hard drive. I just haven't touched it. So it was really enjoyable. It's different in that it's it's still got all the like tropes that make it a good Uncharted game, but it's more open worldy. It's like not a huge world, but it's big enough that. I mean, you keep going back and forth to the same places, and that's that can get a little bit annoying. But at the same time, they keep you invested, and the the characters are really good. Yeah. Um. Excuse me. And the story is really fun. Mm. The characters are usually pretty good in those uh, Naughty Dog games. So. Yeah, and it just it was it was just and there I will say this I was happy that there was no um, fantastical element to it. Oh okay. Oh, they didn't do any like weird supernatural thing like they usually do. No. And I don't think they did that in Uncharted Four either. It wasn't like ghost ships or anything. It was just I didn't uh, I didn't finish Uncharted Four. So oh, okay, it's really good. I just got I got stuck in a spot like a difficulty like uh, like a monster closet kind of spot like sequence like an action sequence just uh, yeah. me and I couldn't get through it and I was like yeah I'm done and I walked away and then when I went back to it it just like I was so out of like used to playing it like the controls weren't making any sense and I was at the same spot where I was just getting fucking dominated by forty guys I was like yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. Right. Actually, you know what? That's definitely not, a phrasing that's not, there. That's not a than I meant it to, actually. <laughs> Mark getting yeah. dominated by 40 guys. Be, be right back, everybody. <laughs> yeah. That sounded a lot more interesting than, I, than it yeah, actually I was. I got someone but. to take care of um, here, folks. Ew, okay. gross. <laughs> just do it on cam, buddy. Just do it on <laughs> yeah. cam. Ew, well, gross, you guys can only see me from the waist up. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, uncharted. Why do I do this podcast again? Remind me why I'm <laughs> oh, here. Oh, you love us. Shut up, Christy. Well, no, no. Just remind me why you, you don't even need me. You could just get off on each other. It's fine. Uh, Crazy. Because yeah, there's that. No, that was intentional. That was, that was straight up. Yeah. <laughs> no, no entendre there. That was no. That was meant to sound how it's. Because <laughs> you offer a counterpoint to us being ridiculous together. How does that sound? What? Because you offer a counterpoint to our bullshit. Oh, true. <laughs> but anyway yeah uh what was what we're saying well un- i was gonna say uncharted is like i know i'm you know a very casual gamer kind of thing uncharted is one of those franchises that i have That's some right. interest in because i've heard it owes a lot like old style adventure games which is my like oh yeah my, the heart of my gaming experience kind of thing so yeah it definitely has it definitely has its kind of roots in that and like i guess if you're a big well you're a big raiders of lost ark fan yeah. right like you're an indiana jones guy it's it, it owes a lot to indie and tomb raider and stuff like that so yeah for sure yeah it's it's like a really what i like about uncharted is that it's it's fun it knows exactly what it like what it is it doesn't try to be anything obnoxious beyond like um the adventure it is an adventure game and at its core it offers you a really good story without needing a campaign that is fluffed out to be like 40 hours yeah. It is it is what it is. It's something you sit down, you can do in a couple of days if you really want to. You know, if you want 100% it, you you can take a little longer and it's always worth a replay, mm-hmm. but Uncharted at its core is just a fun callback to an adventure genre. Yep. Nice. 
and I I really love it. I think it's one of my favorite one of my favorite game franchises for sure. Yeah, two and three were definitely games that like I I look back on very fondly. I just I wish I hadn't got stuck on four. Uh, yeah, based on difficulty. So for me, my hierarchy goes two, three, Lost Legacy, and four, and then um, one. one. And like that's still high praise because like I really enjoy all the games and Lost Legacy ties because I would put it above four, but I love Nathan Drake so much that it just feels wrong to like do. Yeah, not not say he's the guy. Yeah, but Chloe and um, Nadine are really really good. Nice. Yeah, I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to sit down and play through that now that I've got some time on my hands. So. Or Witcher 3. Just saying Witcher 3. Yeah, Witcher 3 or 150 is... hour slog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, slog sounds about appropriate this time, actually, <laughs> since we didn't try, we tried not to use that word last week. But It won't be a slog, though, because you'll really enjoy yourself. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm going to wait till I see it on sale again and then I'll, I'll grab it. So, yeah. It is on sale right now, though. Uh no, well the complete edition is sitting on the PSN store for 70 bucks, which is not super saley to me. Oh but. no, no, it's it's much better sales at certain times. It's because I think they just released it's now uh updated so that it's better on the PS Plus or not PS Plus um the Pro. The Pro. So yeah. it's it's improved. I really want to play it over again, but I'm like, oh, where's the other thing to do? Well, you have to do you don't want to wait till you have like a 4K TV that would be worth playing it on mm. kind of thing, too. And then at that point, you may as well just get it for like the One X or something like that, where it's, you can really get that 4K kind of quality, like the new Xbox. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. I'll, I'll grab it when it's on sale. If it's yeah. 20, 20 or 30 bucks, I'm going to grab it and I'll give it a spin. Yeah, so, super good. I know I, I've seen it come down a couple times like that. I've just never had any interest in playing it. So Yeah. It's super good. Super, super good. Anyway, uh, that's my game. I know you guys, you guys <laughs> berating me. You guys berating yeah. me on the Facebook page. That was pretty uh, geeky. Today <laughs> and yesterday. That, that kind of uh, uh, didn't sell me so much as it just kind of I'll I'll give it a shot just to appease the them. <laughs> yeah, just sure, to why shut not. them up. <laughs> I tried to do Mass Effect and I just like crumbled under that one. So we'll see if I can do The Witcher. <sighs> not everything's for everyone, Christy. I know I kept it to myself. I didn't say anything to myself. <laughs> you, and your side didn't belie anything. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was Michael Taylor telling me to play like the Arkham games that kind of like I was like oh is it it's not whatever I saw Arkham game comparisons and Zelda comparisons and I was like oh alright I did 150 hours in the last Zelda game so I guess I can do that for this <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> you know if Michael Taylor says it whatever <laughs> I don't think you've ever told me to play The Witcher before what maybe not like you've directly. mentioned you've definitely mentioned it yeah. I don't know if you've been like Mark you need to play this game you should play it I have two. I don't think so. Oh my god, I have. I bet the listeners will agree with me. All right. If somebody wants to prove me wrong and point me to a time code on one of our episodes where she told me explicitly to play the richer, I will concede this point, but I don't think it happens. So, (laughs) Michael, Blake, Mark, I'm looking at you three. You guys go to town. All right. I've listened to these episodes enough. I don't need to listen to them ever. Mark's Mark's the one that's listened to like all of our episodes multiple times when he's editing. So. Yeah, nah. or maybe 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 you it. didn't. He just edited edited it out. Yep, yep. Well, that's, that's entirely possible. You don't know. <laughs> we'll never know. You'll never know. It's on the cutting room floor. The digital. You have to come back to the raw files that are all sitting on a portable hard drive here somewhere. <laughs> so. <Nice. laughs> well, as for me, dear listeners, uh, my geek of the week was also a series of television. After our last episode, where we sort of said. We were one of the things we talked about was the things that we 
meant to or wanted to get to last year that we didn't. I sat down this past weekend, well, not really sat down, while I was taking down Christmas decorations and the Christmas tree, I watched through the whole like first 11 episodes of The Gifted, which is everything that's come out so far. What did you think? Um, it's solid. Uh, yeah. It's it's. I don't know if I like it quite as much as Runaways, but it's really good. Um, yeah, I've heard it's. I like. I the first two episodes just killed me, and I kind of stepped away. But I now that I've seen like people saying, I think I said this on the last week's episode where people have been saying that it's really good as the season has progressed, and I'm like, oh okay. Yeah. The I want to go back to the it. effects on it are really good for network TV. Yeah. The makeup on it is fucking outstanding. The acting on it has all been pretty solid. The story has been pretty good for the most part. There's been a couple like, you know, sort of episodes that were a little bit meh, but for the most part, I'm really like I'm I'm in. I'm 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 in the bag for this for the foreseeable future at this point. And you liked the other one too, right? Legion? You like Legion a lot as well. Yeah, right? it's very different than Legion though. Yeah, it's, a lot it's just more they're still both like X many. Yeah, it's just th- this is really family driven because it's sort of based around the the Struckers, which yeah. are a you know long standing mutant family basically. So there's a lot of it's really really weird to me that they're using the Strucker name considering like they're villains classically. Yeah, so essentially yeah. it is like the the grandparents of these you know grandparents or great grandparents no. I can't remember. There's like four generations. Well, or something like I, guess that. It, I guess it depends. Yeah, there's a bunch of generations going yeah, on. Yeah, so right, there's so. the the kids are I like didn't know that they were, you know, had this mutant heritage kind of thing, uh, and then the I guess great grandparents were like the original like Strucker twins or whatever. That when they you know join their powers together, they're like Fenris. I'm not sure if that's from the comics or not. The Wolf, where like they are incredible. Fenris, I think it's called. Fenris. Yeah. Fenris is the the wolf that like he appears in uh, Ragnarok. He's the uh Yeah. Is that it wolf. Well, no, it's it's yeah, it's it's just like a code name for them, but basically yeah. when they are, like they're when they combine their powers, they're just like insanely powerful and that power has been passed down to the two kids. Yeah. Okay, no, no, because it is, it's just, sorry, it is Fenrir in North Mythology and Ragnarok. It's, yeah, your yeah. Fen, right, it's those Fenris in the Marvel comics. Sorry, my apologies. Yeah, yeah. it's, yeah, it's Fenris in, uh, in, in this show anyways, so, but, um, this is, so they're actually using Von Strucker, like, that's yeah. the name they're using? Yeah. That's weird, because he, he was in Age of Ultron. They used Baron Von Strucker, uh, he was the one who developed the twins, like, he was that guy at the beginning of Age of Ultron when they infiltrate the castle. Oh, yeah? Who had, uh, yeah, I'm like, I looked him up to see who was playing him on that show. And the first thing that came up was like, dude in Age of Ultron. Yeah. And I was like, and I mean, this show was clearly, you know, started before Disney owned Fox. So I wonder how they got around that particular rights issue. Yeah. Cause he's, I I always remember him being more of a, like a shield kind of like Avengers bad guy. Yeah. Than ever being like an X Men person. It might be that it's like so far down in like the list of villains that it was never like their names was never really written to either agreement. So basically, either company can kind of freely use them or whatever. Not that it matters now. Yeah. Now it doesn't matter because they own all of it anyway. Wait, who's this character on Runaways? No, it's not Runaways. I'm sorry. I thought you said Runaways. I got no. It's a character that was on Gifted, like, and then is was also in uh, Age of Ultron, yeah, yeah. like in Age uh, Avengers Two. Yeah. So, yeah. And we were just trying to figure out the logistics of the companies using the same character when the licensing is so. I mean, now it's not so up in the air, but it was kind of up in the air at that point. Yeah, so, although pretty- I guess they were trading Quicksilver around quite a bit at that point, so they may have had a discussion about that True. then. Yeah. So, 
and they managed to get around. They were able to use Scarlet Witch. So there's clearly some gray area there, but that moot yeah. point now. All right. Well, yeah. So uh, gifted um, for anybody that was sort of on the fence about it. Although it sounds like we were like the only ones that weren't watching it. Yeah, I guess it's kind of weird, eh? Like I, I, because those those Marvel, the Marvel show or the Marvel Fox shows, especially, I was like, ugh, like I don't just give it up, guys. Like give, give the franchise back. But like I liked Legion enough that I, I will watch a second season if it ever happens. Yeah. And I was looking at this one just because I mean this was based solely on the strength of the fact that Amy Acker's in it, and I fucking love Amy Acker. So yeah. she's, I mean, she's not really central to it. Like she's, well, she's like the one sort of human character caught in this yeah. like mutant resistance kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of interesting from that point of view, like she's the one that's having to sort of deal with the fact that both her kids are mutants and that her husband carries mutant gene and she had no idea and is now like, it's, it's very, it very much plays off like the sort of xenophobia and stuff like that, that we're experiencing yeah. in the U S right now, uh, yeah. which yeah. is interesting to see. Um, and so she's that sort of vehicle character where she's had like, conditioned to look at mutants one way and now she's having to sort of change her viewpoint on stuff and fair enough yeah also the, the daughter the daughter's a little the actress is playing a daughter's little smoke show too so she is yeah and uh and popping she, up on my my, my instagram recommended because i follow a couple other people from that show just like by happenstance yeah. i'm like oh and she's and she's been really good uh yeah. i think she's only supposed to be like 17 on the show i'm not sure how old she actually is but uh but in terms of her acting, it's actually been like a lot of the time, you know, teenage actors are kind of weak or whatever, but she's been really good. The uh, guy playing her brother's really good. The girl that's playing Polaris is really solid. And yeah. So, nice. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, all right. Well, with that, let us get on to our meat of the episode. Terrifying, hard to process meat. <laughs> Tough meat. Yeah. Speaking of it sound like we went for steaks or something like that and have to digest that or something <laughs> like that. Is that what that is? We're eating like uh like Trump steaks, well done and butterfly. Oh. Yeah, this this would oh. not be good, this wouldn't be a good episode for for vegetarians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this week uh we're doing an episode that we've talked about doing for a really long time. Uh, and that Christy sort of like last week was like, yeah, let's do that. So I, I said, okay. And we're going to do um, basically media that is tough to get through. So, you know, just has deals with really tough subject matter or plays upon like something that you really just have trouble with or something like that. But, but that ultimately we each found rewarding in some way, like not just shit that like we couldn't sit through cause it was just genuinely bad, but stuff that was like, okay, this was difficult to process but when i did i'm really glad that i did kind of thing oh you have to be glad you um, did. okay i'm gonna take some things off <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking the same thing actually maybe not glad but 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 uh let's say maybe proud or something like that that you did that you maybe wear it as a badge of honor i don't know i would i i, I want to leave I purposefully left the definition of like rewarding sort of open-ended that, you know, you felt like you got something out of it in the end uh, in, in whatever way you feel like you want to interpret that. But yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're going across all media here essentially. So, you know, it could be movies, could be TV shows, could be books, comic books, uh, play music, whether it's an artist or an album or a song games, pretty much anything that one of us just c- found really difficult to to get through so first off i want to ask you guys just sort of generally speaking 
what is it in a piece of media that you find the most challenging to get through? Is it like certain subject matter? Is it uh, certain visuals, Christy? Is it certain actors or artists? Is it a particular musical style or vocal style uh, or something like that that you don't normally care for? So shoot, Christy. Don't shoot, Christy. <laughs> well, I'd say for me, I I struggle with content that seems very real. And I struggle with mm. content that is puts you in a place where you have to feel an emotional obligation. So the best thing I can think of uh, would be like, uh, one, of the, one of the things I'm going to talk about is the Walking Dead video games by Telltale, where mm. you're forced to okay. be in really hard uh, decisions that like play with your empathy, but also your sense of responsibility and your sense of, uh, what's right and wrong morality, and morality. And, yeah. so um, when movies or films play with that part of like my my emotional like I guess spread I, I get very anxious and I find that most of the things on this list, list have made me very anxious when I think about them and uh, so, sort of like when I was saying that things that visually are difficult to watch it's because it makes you almost feel like you're too engaged like there's no escaping the visuals and it makes you feel like you are a presence there either in the way that it's filmed or the way that the sound design is like it it makes you feel as if you're you're a part of it in um a really visceral way and then uh, i'd say horror 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 Jesus. I get really uncomfortable because um, I'm fascinated by horror, but I think that if I were in a situation, though I like to like watch the movies, I find them the hardest to get through because I can picture myself so easily brutally murdered, um, mostly because of you guys. <laughs> but, um, oh. So thanks. But... Um, <laughs> What? You always talk about how the underwear fairy is going to come get me. Mark does more than I do. My life. But anyway, <laughs> so there's things. There's things. That also, that me. doesn't mean we are the underwear fairy. No, not yet. Anyway, so there's there's stuff that like. <laughs> it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> but yeah, there's stuff Jesus. that like that gets to me. Just I, I find that I'm I'm most affected, though, by the emotional pulls. That's that's my thing. Okay. I can definitely see that. And that that that's one for me as well. I'll, I'll go ahead and agree with that is yeah. like uh definitely yeah, something that is emo- that you can get really emotionally invested in that maybe you don't necessarily want to get emotionally invested in, mm-hmm. but you're you just find yourself there kind of thing. Yep. That's uh yeah, that's certainly something for me. How about you, Mark? A lot of the stuff that like I'll probably talk about has tends to kind of veer into it's more just like a tone, like a, a very oppressive, kind of bleak, hopeless kind of tone mm-hmm. that comes through a lot of this stuff, which is really um maybe quasi hypocritical of me given the music that I tend to listen to on a regular basis, because that tends to have that kind of stuff in there too. But the movies I find for some reason, like when they get really into like like we'll talk about these movies in particular, but like something like Requiem for a Dream or Train Spotting, where it's really heavy into like mm-hmm. like the the bottom end of like heroin addiction or something like that, or something like like a machinist where somebody's got like some kind of mental Ooh, yeah like that kind of stuff. Where I have a like not that I can relate to it all the way, but there is some aspects of it that I can kind of like relate to, especially when it comes to like having some kind of like what would you call it 
like a psychological issue or something like that. Like just the thought of it kind of thing will start to trip me out. So stuff where there's a lot of surrealism that's very graphic or horror, that kind of stuff will start to bother me. A lot of like real gritty, gritty, gritty true crime stuff will sometimes get to be a little bit too much for me and I'll have to kind of shy away. Mm. But there's like, there's like a lot, like there's like a very fine line where like, I'm totally fine watching say the Sopranos given how like graphic and violent that can be sometimes. And then like watching Oz afterwards would be like, okay, I can't like just the overall bleakness of it. Like it's so hopeless that I can't sit there and binge that kind of thing. Cause it's just too much to emotionally kind of take. So yeah. 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 No, I, I definitely feel that as well. Yeah. I was going to add to a torture, just thinking about what Mark was saying, like torture is it something that really bothers me in some, in some cases. Yes. Depending on how realistically. Yeah. And I guess it depends on what you're like showing me in particular. Like I've sat through, Stuff like you got you you would probably squick out to like the Saw movies or Hostel, and I'm so just like disconnected from it that like I barely I'm not engaged with the story at all because it's so fucking poorly put together yeah, yeah. that I don't care. It's when you start getting into the stuff like the Aronofsky or the Lynch stuff where it's so fabulously well put together, like it's so artistically well put together. Yeah, that and like, a lot I can't realistic. escape that. Yeah, well, well realistic. Yeah. yeah, I mean maybe a little like it's stylized. You, you can sympathize with the characters more. Yeah. Characters more. yeah yeah so that kind of stuff that will that will get me a little bit so okay all right so for me there's there's a couple in particular uh one is sort of somewhat t- uh, related to what you guys mentioned but a little more specifically there are certain subject matters for me that i just normally am not exposed to on a daily basis kind of thing at least not like sort of the really harsh realities of them like you might see them in a news story or something like that but you don't really get a really like clear picture of the actual like human impact of them kind of thing. Yeah. And so there's, there's stuff like that certain, there's definitely a couple of subject matters like uh, substance abuse in particular and like rape and sexual abuse definitely are ones for me that I can find really oh, difficult to get through. Frick, yeah. Yeah. Part of, that's part of torture for me. Like an innocent yeah. victim being forced into something like that. Ugh, it's yeah. too real. Yeah, that and the other thing that sort of upsets me is is kind of tangential or kind of separate from everything else we discussed so far, but it's basically nonsensical stuff, like things that just don't make sense that that are happening seemingly without purpose or without reason. Mm-hmm. Um whether it's just yeah. like a really just completely, you know, unnecessary act of violence or something like that or uh, again, like in a, in not necessarily like in a horror movie where it's not necessarily meant to be taken seriously, but more in like a you know true like dramatic story or something like that, uh, where it just happens out of nowhere and you don't see it coming. That sort of thing kind of fucks with me. But also in a non-narrative sense, like if you're watching a piece of media that isn't necess- doesn't necessarily follow the sort of conventions of narrative storytelling that we are so sort of ingrained and conditioned to know and and identify you know just to the point where you don't even cognizantly actually know that you're but but when but when something comes that doesn't fit into that it just kind of jars me and i'm like this doesn't feel right and i can't tell why and it's messing with me Yeah, yeah yeah definitely i agree with that actually that one's that one's one that kind of comes up a lot um with me too where because I mean, we've spent, I mean, all of us have spent so much time reading and watching and all that kind of stuff. You're kind of students of like narrative storytelling, regardless of whether you're actively like that English major who spends a lot of time really dissecting that structure, you know, that structure one way or the other. Right. So when something that goes outside of that structure, it can be pretty 
off-putting if that's what you're used to all the time so yeah yeah i would uh, can i add something more to mine i just thought about it sure bad acting (laughs) bad performances because like the way you're just talking about how it like if it's it it's great if it's really really good and it's like super enjoyable and you can get really into it but like i if a really great movie is ruined by a bad performance i struggle so Mm -hmm. hard yeah I think that might be why like those horror movies, like I was just like mm-hmm. that, like that torture porn kind of stuff tends to not really like work on me too much. Cause they usually have like, like sub porn level that, actors, yeah. <laughs> like, like they're usually pretty fucking terrible actors kind of thing. So it's just lesser like, Wahlbergs yeah. and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, 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 the fifth shitty, like Baldwin cousin <laughs> is in this movie. You know what I mean? Like, or, or your favorite cable stars or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That and that's probably what it, what makes those movies more watchable for me is because like I can tell that like the movies are almost it's a farce cool. of themselves kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um and so it allows you to sort of disconnect uh, a little yeah. a little more easily. All right. So I think I think that's a pretty good sort of really wide working definition that we can uh we can do. So let's uh, I asked everybody to come up with three or four examples of uh, media pieces of media that they thought were tough sits. So I think we're just going to go around and sort of maybe discuss each one. I'm sure we'll probably have some like overlap or at least, you know, multiple of us will have experienced most of these I'm imagining. So let's go, let's go back to Christy. Christy, what is the well, first one you want to talk about? I'm going to adapt my list just a tiny bit. Cause like, I know Mark and I share one, so I'm going to let him share that one. So the first one that I'll mention that, I mean, I would talk about Totoro, but I haven't seen it in years and I've only seen part of it because I like threw up, but (laughs) I will say the first thing I ever struggled with watching and still struggle to this day. And I don't know if I get a ton out of it, except for the fact that I can say that I've seen it and I've taken in the media because I feel like sometimes things are important to watch. Just a cultural touchstone or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I was definitely shown it far too young and it has haunted me my whole life to the point that I once got a pet to try and make it less terrifying for me. Pet Cemetery? No. <laughs> I've okay. actually never seen Pet Cemetery. I know it's a classic. Then don't. Yeah. No, my dad told me not to. He's like, you won't yeah, like you, it. You shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Good, like, good book. It's anyway. a classic. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, terrible. Good book. Nice big glass of wine there, Tim. That's my my drink for the week. So. Since you mention it now, I'll go ahead and and interrupt you, and our w- listeners can wait even longer to hear what Christy's talking about. But uh, wine for me f- was one for a long time that like I couldn't really ever get into, and eventually I just sort of forced myself to get into. And now, like it's not like my drink of choice, but I definitely do enjoy a wine with dinner mm. once in a while or while recording. I still can't get into as wine. Wine just like I, I get uh, the, like the, the bad headaches I got when I first mm. started drinking. Kind of killed it for me. You're drinking shit wine, probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, actually, I think it was more that I was drinking like too much of that <laughs> shit wine was probably the problem. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it is. It's a pretty. It's a pretty bougie picture, though, considering most of the the movies we're probably talking about are pretty art house and like. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm dr- enjoying my nice glass of Robert Mondavi uh, oh. private selection Cabernet. Salty Sultry Sultry Yeah, he hasn't used the he hasn't used the voice in a while. I'm all hard now. My sultry vixen voice. Yay! What oh. I'd really like to say is how deconstructed this whole episode has been so far. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's like a good pedo. Yeah. 
Anyway, Christy, what what piece of media are you with here? Sorry, <laughs> like your like your baggage. So, uh, do you guys have any guesses as to what it is? I already made my guess. What'd you say? A oh, right, pet? pet cemetery. So, I mean, I'm guessing it's something animal related. Cujo? No. Mark, do you have one guess, or do you uh, are you just blanking? You think you're saying it's animal related? Yes. Like. Old Yeller? Old Yeller? No, Old Yeller did bother me though, but uh, mom no. never let me see the ending. I don't even know. Homeward Bound? Nope. Oh, Sassy <laughs> and Chance. Shadow. Such great characters. All right, we're not going to guess. No. Yeah, we're not going to guess, apparently. I think about it. It's one of those things that makes me kind of barfy, but I don't bring it up often because it's like not referenced very often. It's uh, Watership Down. Okay. So did you get a rat? Is that what? No, I don't no, I got a rabbit. Oh, okay. I got a bunny, and he didn't even last a year before I gave him away. Aww. I hated him. Is Stupid it Oliver. is it the book or the movie, though? The movie. Okay. The movie, if you look up the trailer, the animation style is real freaky. And there is a scene, a lot of rabbits die. It actually started, I watched it, and was it was the first time I felt fascinated, but like, really really deeply uncomfortable um and i watched it at my friend's house when we were kids i I couldn't have been older than like seven and a lot of the rabbits die really horrible deaths like really graphic like one bunny gets in a sorry no 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 no, 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 really old aggressive like rabbit covered with sores and he like drools and his eyes are wild and I, they think i think he has rabies. oh yeah i remember that yeah. I, I i don't think i've seen the whole movie but i've seen like that image for sure yeah and there's a point when these other bunnies are trying to like get away from watership down and they're trying to get back to a farmer like away from a farm i can't remember what it is because it's been years but they're one male rabbit sacrifices himself and the old rabbit literally through a battle that's aggressive and horrible tears the throat out of the good bunny and you see him there on the ground twitching and blood seeping from his wounds into the ground and it's like this dark scary imagery while these rabbits are running and all of them like get foamy at one point and like they're like fighting for their lives and it's just it's really disturbing but now that I'm an adult, I recognize that what an allegory it was about a number of really intense topics like war and slavery and the Holocaust and, you know, all these really dark, dark, dark undertones to an already dark, twisted film. It was also probably a way that like a lot of kids in that generation or like when it first came out it was like the late 70s, but were exposed to like these ideas of like violence and death and kind of thing because it was still a cartoon and was clearly marketed to maybe not like young kids but like yeah and it was nine or ten year old or something like that the people i watched it with um their father was very british and so it was he had a very different idea of what 
was super appropriate. Okay. Yeah. And when my parents found out that we'd watched it, they were like, no, that's so inappropriate. Christy can't handle that kind of emotional film. And I was like, because it started me. I seriously. You're right, mom and dad. You're right. I should have listened. So the tag of this episode now is, is for our listeners to come here. How Christy was traumatized by bunny rabbits. It's true. They, like I was, I, I was trying to say they, um, it started as this reoccurring nightmare where it wasn't bunnies, but it was turkeys and they were little, it was like a picture book. I remember it so well. And the turkeys were trying to escape from being eaten and you never saw the humans that were trying to eat them, but the humans had laid out thousands of like really grotesque traps for the turkeys mm-hmm. and like uh, the pages would turn and I would like see like almost like a film of like the turkeys running and getting trapped in these really awful, awful like traps. So like one was a bear trap and I saw the turkey's head come off and then the next thing would flip to a book or the flip the pages in the book and it would show the turkey like in the trap, but like the head gone. And then another one was like they'd caught. I just remember like the one got cooked, but like you saw it being plucked alive and things like that. And then these other turkeys climbed up a tree somehow and one got taken by a hawk um, because they were little. And then the other turkey finally to escape jumped. This makes no sense, but jumped into the water and found a family of other water turkeys who had evolved to try (laughs) to to escape these like horrible, horrible humans but it all started with Watership Down because it was the same animation style. It was the same sort of like really twisted relationship between mammals. And it was just, yeah. So I'm glad I saw it, but at the same time, I'm very traumatized from it still because it is a hard <laughs> sit. Where did we get to Turkey? Sorry, you lost me for a second there. <laughs> it was a reoccurring dream I had starting oh, okay, after Watership okay. Down. Okay. Uh, okay. Like, and it was, it was all about like torture and like animals and just not being able to escape. Okay. Fair enough. Sorry, I, I I started watching the trailer and then I must have lost <laughs> you for a second there. I've never seen that. Like I've never seen that movie. It looks like I could see how that would be. Yeah, interesting just, for a young Christie to sit through. So it's one that I have vague memories of, but I'm not sure if that's because I've seen it or just because it's such a part, part of the zeitgeist kind of thing that that I've I've sort of just been aware of it over the years. But I think Christie, you've you've really obviously already told us what it was that made it hard for you to get through this one was the reward for you like basically just having gotten through it and yeah like having knowing that you've seen that sort of piece of pop culture history kind of thing it's that and it it did like as i was a kid it did start a lot of really difficult conversations Mm -hmm. like a lot of them because i did come home really traumatized just like oh my mom and dad at first were like, God damn it. Like, why did she get <laughs> fuck? Like, we can't believe you saw this damn movie. But like, it did start uh, a conversation about, you know, I, I, they deconstructed it for me that like the bunnies represented humans in different parts of the world and like the, the scary situations humans find themselves in. So it did start teaching me at a very, very young age, not only how to deconstruct art to see the deeper meaning of it, but also how, to start thinking about difficult situations and recognizing how that made me feel on a personal level and how it made me feel like I related to the world. And it did help me recognize a little bit of my privilege. So I don't really, I know that's like heavy, deep and real for our first one, 
but it's I think it's because it's my first like real memory of it. I was so like passionately affected. Yeah, fair enough. I'll say that. Who would you recommend this for? Is there a particular like maybe age group or subsection of the population or yeah? (laughs) Yeah, going back, I wish I'd watched it when I was maybe like thirteen or fourteen, so I could have processed it a little bit better. But it is a scary movie. I don't know if I would recommend it to people our age now, unless you wanted to watch it for the animation style and like to see. I think it would be one of those rough sits because of how it's aged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does not. The animation does not look great. No, I can tell you that much. But I'm sitting through the trailer, but but the story holds, and that it is uncomfortable because it makes you feel uncomfortable and in that case like is it art that should be consumed for the fate for the just for the sake of allowing yourself to take in that sort of discomfort and check to see how it makes you feel yes is it are there better films that would probably help you achieve that also achieve that yes Uh, okay and finally this was a question i just came up just before we started recording is this, and this just can just be a quick yes or no, is this, do you think you would go back and watch Watership Down ever again? No. Okay, fair enough. I might watch the trailers. I might watch bits of it. I will never sit through that movie wholly again. <laughs> Fuck no. God damn it, no. No! Sorry, I don't mean to So may- what you're saying is maybe. No! It's like, <laughs> it's like I'm going to go through enough in 2018 watching Totoro. Like, I don't need to subject myself to that shit. One movie a year is enough of terror. And was the other? How's Moving Castle? Is that the other? Or? No. Spirited uh, Away. Spirited Away, right. I haven't. I have. I've only, I've only seen a little bit of that. And I was in my multimedia class and I had to excuse myself. I went to the bathroom for like 45 minutes. <laughs> Fair enough. I had a straight up panic attack in the classroom. Oh, Jesus. Baba Yaga, whatever her name is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mark, what is your first tough sit? I've got a couple, but I think we, should, we may as well just talk about the one that I think we're all, we all probably have seen and have in common, and that would be Requiem for a Dream. Uh, that's the one I didn't want to, I didn't talk about because I knew you'd talk about it. Yeah. I don't even know what to say about it. I just know, like, a lot of Aronofsky stuff has that kind of vaguely surreal kind of tinge to it, and it also has, like, a lot of dark kind of themes in terms of like, especially, I mean, Requiem for a Dream particularly because it was the book based on like, it's a bunch of heroin addicts kind of succumbing to addiction and that kind of thing. Well, not just heroin addicts, just yeah, addiction addicts. in general, addiction right? In general, yeah, true. That was the stuff that fucked me up the most about that was the Ellen Burstyn stuff. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. question. She gets addicted to diet pills and then yeah. goes through like fucking, yeah. And then goes through like electroshock therapy and stuff like that. Oh fuck. It's so yeah. disturbing. Yeah. yeah, and that's one of those things like the I think what the through line for a lot of the stuff that always bothers me is the lack of control, like where you like control is removed from you. Like that is what I think really bothers me. Maybe that's I don't know. Like somebody would probably say that's like the Scorpio in me is like having the control removed from me is something that really irks me a lot. Like when I'm out of control of the situation, it's mm-hmm. part of the reason why the exorcist bothers me at that really like weird reptile level, because it's something outside that you can't control is taking over your life and like affecting people around you or whatever Mm -hmm. so that kind of stuff like bothers me and i find like he does that a lot so requiem for a dream was one uh black swan too yeah black swan a couple years ago like fuck me up because it's just like she's losing her mind clearly right like she's going insane and Mm -hmm. nobody around her recognizes it 
and she doesn't even really know, realize what's going on anymore. Like she's confused by what's going on. And it's so terrifying to be, to think that your brain chemistry can just like turn on you on a dime, like your own body's turning on you and making you see shit and act in a way that's not really the way you think you are kind of thing. So, yeah. Well, yeah, he, yeah. he does that a lot. So. Did I ever tell you that's such a fucking good movie? It is. Did I ever tell you the first time I saw it? What happened? Well, Requiem for yeah. a Dream? What? I was stoned. Oh, God. I, yeah, that's not... It fucked me up. Not a good movie. Like, watch high. Fucked me up for weeks. No. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I just tried to rewatch it before we sat down to do it, and I was like, I, I couldn't... Like, like it started getting into the bad shit at the end, and I was like, I can't do this right now. Like, I'm ass, not. ass to ass. <laughs> yeah, like that kind of stuff. Like, the emotional... My emotional preparation for it was just not there, I guess, so I just was yeah. like, I can't. I gotta tap out for now, so... Maybe I'll go back to it again, but I can't even remember like the first time I saw it. I think it was just something that like I was probably in at at school somewhere, and like I had a lot of friends who were like film majors. You're in art in, in the art department. Everybody's kind of mm-hmm. commingling, and there's so the the film majors are hanging out with people like me who are like whatever two D kind of artist people, and we're all just kind of bumming around like you should watch this because it's cool, or you should watch this or whatever. You should look at this. And recommended for a dream was somebody who was in the film department was like you should really sit down and watch this movie. It's very like artistically whatever like has a lot of artistic merit for it and i was like okay great and sat down and watched and was like i fucking hate you i can't sleep now thank you <laughs> yeah like that's gonna keep me up for fucking weeks that's awesome so yeah that, so that one was one it i did find it tough to get through but not as tough as like the ones i'm actually going to discuss in part because of the surrealism it allowed me to detach a little bit more okay and, and because like i was just marveling at like the the editing and the cinematic like aspects of it the ritualization of the addictions for me was the most amazing part of that movie like how you had those like really quick cut sequences of like uh you know opening the pill bottle getting at the pills taking them you know getting all hyped or whatever or like the injecting the heroin and like the pupils dilating and yeah, yeah yeah the cook cooking and everything like that was that was really powerful. Because they do that. I find they do that. There's a if you've seen Train Spotting, like they do that. Yeah. They have a similar kind of like focus on the ritual of like prepare, like preparing the drug and like doing the drug and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And like heroin's one of those things. Like that's like way outside my wheel. Like I would never touch that shit. Like I've done pretty much everything else under the sun. But like heroin, I'm like, no, I can't. That that one's too far for me. Just yeah. because I don't know. I've lost enough heroes to it at this point that like that we yeah. can talk about later. That it's not. It's something that just terrifies the shit out of me. So. Yeah. I wouldn't touch it to save my life, but, but yeah, I, I, I think the, uh, I think it is the artsy stuff that like, that's I think that's reward. why I wanted to bring it up. Like that's the reward to it. Like that's yeah. why I would want to sit through it. Cause there's other stuff that we'll probably talk about that I've sat through that was not as like artistically put together that I'm mm-hmm. like, I'll never sit through it again. And there was no real, I didn't feel anything at the end except for like crippling depression or something <laughs> like that or more, more than usual anyway. <laughs> So like, like those ones in particular, I think they just bother me because they're, they're that kind of thing. Like they're artistic, but they also just like, it's so bleak. Like there's no hope at the end of any of this stuff, right? Like you're just kind of like, they're all lost to whatever their vice happens to be Mm -hmm. and like have completely lost any control they have over their lives at that point. And like, and it's it's a little bit, I think that one, uh, Requiem for a Dream kind of stands out to me, especially because like, I mean, everybody our age had a crush on Jennifer Connelly at some point. Yeah. Right. So then it seeing was her hard like, to have a crush on her after that movie, after that movie. Yeah. It's a little difficult, right? Like yeah. it's, it, it, it tweaks you out a little bit. Cause you're used to like the girl from labyrinth who's super cute and whatever, like 16. Yeah. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's what I remember. Cause like, that's what you grew up with. And you see her in this, and you're like, Holy fuck. That's yeah. not, I definitely yeah. don't want to sexualize this character. Yeah, exactly. Or, or so have, yeah. 
So that's that one. That one did that one for me. So I had the same problem with Black Swan because all of a sudden it's like Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis, and it's like, no, guys, like this isn't even sex. Like they're having a sex scene, and it's like the least sexy thing that yeah. has ever happened on film. You know what I mean? That's what's so awful is that Darren Aronofsky just like he will take what like outside you might perceive as sexy, like he shows it in such a like creepy, horrible way, like in a almost like too realistic. Yeah, it's very yeah. stark, like almost too yeah. real kind of way. Yeah, yeah. And the and like in the and the, the, the everything's framed like kind of jarringly sort of thing. So it's yeah, like he likes his he yes. likes his Dutch angles. He likes to fuck with your head by like tweaking yeah. the angle. But like, he does it. I was watching something one of his making of things, and he does it very subtly. It's not like where you get into like a Joel Schumacher Batman, where it's like very clearly tilted at like a very yeah. clear angle. It's very subtly tilted off yeah. axis, which your brain fucking tweaks like. I'm used to doing that kind of stuff because, like, as an illustrator, you frame stuff a, a certain way, and like, there's tolerances, I guess you would want to call it, where like, if you do it enough, it's like it's really clear you're doing an exaggerated angle, but if you do it subtly, it just tweaks people, yeah, because it's so like small. And I, I know he's doing it, but it still affects me. Yeah, kind of it's thing. one of those so. things that is just unsettling, but a lot of people would have trouble understanding why what they're exactly is, feels feels off to yeah. them. But even me, as somebody who is totally aware of what they're yeah. doing, like, what the point is, it's still, like, I still get it. Like, yeah. it still tweaks me a little bit, even though I'm like, I know exactly why it feels off balance or I feel whatever in this scene because of, like, whatever he's doing, cinema- cinematographic, I don't know how to pronounce it, like, is that Cin- a word? Cinematographic. Cinemat- yeah, I guess that's, yeah, that's the idea I'm getting, trying to get across, even if that isn't <laughs> the actual word that I should be using. Cinemat- like, I know what he's, yeah. Cinematographically. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So like I know what he's doing, but it's still like <laughs> it still affects me. You know what I mean? Like it still hits that whatever that brown note near the back of your head that makes you kind of uncomfortable the whole mm-hmm. way through. So mm-hmm. yeah, Requiem for a Dream was like the first one. And when we started talking about doing this, that's always the first one that popped into my head. And we've been talking yeah. about doing this for like a year now. So yeah. and that was the, always the yeah. first one. And the fucking score on that movie is phenomenal. Well, like I was the other the other ones like we were talking about Lynch stuff, and I was like, you know what? It's really terrifying but most of these have awesome soundtracks like Requiem for a dream soundtracks mm-hmm. actually really good and like i was gonna i don't know if we'd actually talk about it that much but like lost highway has one of the best soundtracks of all time but that oh movie yeah fucks me up yeah fucks me up so yeah no we'll talk about lynch later don't you worry all right okay good so who would you recommend Requiem for a dream for besides our uh pretentious art school fucks that's it pretentious <laughs> art school fucks. that's what that movie's for that movie's legit for pretentious art school fucks like yeah I just like I that's the only people I could see who would like get something out of it they would enjoy. You know what I mean? Anybody else is just gonna be like, this is a horrifying bleak story about addiction. Like yeah. it's almost like an after school yeah, special. Gonna, that's what I was gonna it's say. Just, like it doesn't it ends horribly. You but know like I mean? for adults. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this is what can go wrong. Like, yeah. don't do this shit, because otherwise it's ass to ass time, you know what I mean? Like Well <laughs> But that's that's what's so terrifying, right? Is that they they prove that like addiction doesn't lead you to like the life that you sometimes perceive it to be in the movies. Like it was glorified yeah. for a long time. Still is yeah. in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for me, it's that song. At the end that, like, <laughs> I don't know of anything that's glorified. Well, I mean, even train spotting glorified heroin to an extent, yeah, you still, but you still hear that. Like, Oh, like Kurt Cobain did heroin or Jimi Hendrix did heroin. Like yeah. all that. Like there's still like that. Maybe it's not glorified the way, like, Oh, it's awesome. Like the way everybody's like, Oh, like smoking coke, looks cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Yeah. But it is still like, it's romanticized, I guess, because of like, and it's mainly because of these artists who have used it, right? Like it's people who people really admire. 
have been into it. And that's why other people will like be drawn to it for whatever reason, idiot reason they would be. Same reason is like that one kid who killed himself after Cobain did. Cause he thought it would be like the cool thing to do. It's like, no guy, like, yeah, it was a stupid move on his part. He was a multimillionaire and like, he could have got help. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this, you've probably already answered this question since you tried to get through it today. Do you think Requiem for a Dream is a movie you'll go back to? Probably not. Maybe, maybe at some point, like it might be. I've tried to go back to a couple of these and just like had a hard time. I, yeah, I have to be like, watch what I'm watching sometimes. Cause like, if it gets too like dour, it can like really affect my mood. And that's not yeah. super great for me. So like, I try to stay away from that kind of stuff for the most part, even though, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but some of my music tends to be like, if you actually listen to the lyrics is all about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it is kind of a weird, like, it's almost a hypocritical thing where like the movies are too much for me, but like I'll listen to Alice in Chains all day, every day kind of thing. So. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. All right. Well, I'll go to my first one, which is Gaspar Noé's Noé's uh, Irreversible or Ir- Irreversible. So, uh, so this oh, is, don't you'll never ever no, watch this movie you Christy, should never watch ever this movie, Christy. ever watch this movie it is a it's a fucking masterpiece but it is super super tough to get through so yeah, it it's came out fucking i saw it in a theater you want to talk about tough to sit through like oh. i was in a movie theater watching this movie like yeah that's like the most awkward 10 minutes of your life yeah so, it came out know. uh came out in 2002 and it was to some extent a gimmick movie like it uh, it's told in reverse as sort of yeah. uh, implied by the title. So, but not like, you know, it's film like shown backwards. It's 13 scenes that are shown in reverse order. So you see the, the last scene of the oh, movie, like then they jump back to the scene before that. And to some extent, mm, Memento kinda, yeah. fucks with things more than like it, it's not, it jumps around a lot more. It jumps around a lot. Whereas more, this yeah. is a lot straighter. It's like, this is the very last scene of the movie. This is the scene that took place before that. This is the scene that took place before that all until you get back to the very beginning yeah and, and it, it has a really fucked up jarring effect because of that too like it's a very strange scene. yeah especially like on the first viewing in particular it has a really jarring effect but, yeah uh you you you're, you don't necessarily realize the consequences of what you've seen until you get further in the movie mm. yeah there are like maybe not the full consequences of what you've seen so it basically goes through and tells the story of this uh couple that I don't even know how to like synopsize this without like fucking up everything. But if you tell the story narratively, like as it occurs, yeah, chronologically, yeah, chronologically, the couple finds out that they're pregnant, or at least the woman finds out she's pregnant. This one I haven't watched in a while, and she ends up um, they they have a fight or something like that. She ends up getting uh, really brutally raped in a like tunnel or alley. something like that yeah. in an alley. What is a tunnel? It's an underground tunnel. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And then when the, and, and I believe she, the baby is killed. Like the fetus. Well, is she's, she's also sad. like brutally raped, but then she's also what? like, what is this called? Beaten, like irreversible. Uh, irreversible. Yeah. It's got, it's, it's actually Monica Bellucci. So like it did, yeah. it, it got a lot of press because she was the, the victim in that scene. Yeah. And then essentially from there, it becomes a revenge story. It becomes the uh, woman's boyfriend, I think, who and her and her his best friend or something like yeah, that. Yeah, who and, and th- there's also like a love triangle that goes on through it as well. Yeah. And they go off, and this was to find the guy to, to find the guy that did it. And 
the, so obviously the rape scene is one of the really tough parts to get through. The other part that it was really tough to get through for me, but that I also found myself just fucking captivated by is that they find the guy that did it. I think it's the guy that did it anyways. No, it's not the guy. The whole point of the movie is that it's not the guy. That did it. Right. Right. He, but he's, but he's there during, he's in the background during the scene. Uh, yeah. It's a case of mistaken identity basically. And they find the guy that they think did it. And he gets his fucking face beaten in and his like skull caved in with a fire extinguisher mm. in a, and it and show, they show, they show the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. They show like the guy's like uh skull, like caved in his jaw still like twitching. Yeah. They, they even show like the, the movie's so fucking graphic. Like they even show up like a shot of Monica Bellucci's face after the assault too, where she's mm-hmm. been like had her face ground into the pavement seven or eight times yeah. by this guy. And it's just like, it's the most like graphic, vicious movie like I think I've ever sat through. Yeah, because it is in a lot of ways like it's narratively like told in an artistic way, but like visually it's not. It's very just like it's digital, stark, like, very brutal, brutal realism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and that, that's that's maybe the, the worst part to get through for me. Like if this was a movie like a Saw movie that was just like straight up revenge porn or something like that, it wouldn't be that bad. But the 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 extent to which they go to really make you feel everything that's happening and and you know show like realistic portrayals of what would happen when somebody gets their fucking head beaten in with a fire extinguisher was just yeah. so jarring and they do a lot of there's a lot of and this is probably something we should have talked about on the other one too because darren Aronofsky does this too they do a lot of sound design stuff mm-hmm. to like accentuate the feeling of unease as you're going through some of the stuff like the rape scene is like cut with no background like there's no music or soundtrack at all except for like yeah. the city background yeah. and then the 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 scene where they kill the guy is in is a like bondage in, club it's in like some kind of club and there's like a gay orgy going on kind of in yeah. the background but there's like techno like loud techno music playing in the background that they distill down to just kind of like a, a like a, just the a weird wavering kind of like sound thing going on in the background and it's really like dissonant and off-putting the whole time mm. so yeah, yeah i don't know why i watch this shit half the time because it's just like so off-putting <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, but but beside all that, like, imagine watching this movie for the first time, which we've already spoiled for Christy, and you learn throughout happen. the movie, like, well, you yeah, see, it, see at the this, start, like, you see this guy get his fucking face beat and you don't know why, and then later on, you learn that it's not even the right guy, maybe not, maybe not innocent, because the worst part the right is, like, you find, you find out, you find out, because then, like, afterwards, you see her get raped by somebody completely different, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? It's yeah. all just violence, right? And then it kind of slowly gets put together as you go backwards through it. But it's like, holy shit, this is just like... Yeah, and then the last, scene, nice. the last scene of the movie is like sort of them before all this happened. Like, yeah, like in bed, like hanging in out. Bed and realizing that they're pregnant. Oh. Yeah. So it's just like the most... It's very jarring to watch. Yeah. But I mean, the, the reward of it is that it is just masterfully told in terms like that that narrative device, which could be really used really just superficially or really terribly is just used masterfully it's shot amazingly Mm. and just it's one of those it's i would say like it is like a masterpiece in filmmaking and storytelling and something that i've never seen you know even aside from the subject matter i've never seen a story told with that or quite the same way ever since then yeah i mean it's probably one of those things that could only really be done once and luckily the one time it was done was done it did it right really really well yeah so yeah this is one that i would recommend for people that like smart mind fuck movies 
so like if you did like stuff like Memento or probably like Requiem for a Dream, you'd probably maybe not like this, but at least appreciate it. For, yeah. For the art part of it. There's definitely like artistic merit to the movie, but it is uh it can be it's a very difficult like this is probably the one out of all the movies that I thought of while we we're doing that like I will never go back and watch this movie again and I almost almost to the point where I regret having seen it because it was it, like it upset yeah. me that much as I was sitting through it. So I own this movie, so I probably will go back and watch it again. It's not, uh, you know, see, a movie no. that I'm gonna go back and watch every year, but every to be fair, I haven't probably haven't watched it. 10 or 15 years or something like that but it's one of those ones especially recently that i've kept thinking like man i should go back and watch that just because it was so well done yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah so irreversible is the one that i wanted to mention so all right that's one down for each of us uh let's go back to christy what is your next tough well sit? it's funny that you mention um face beating in because uh one of Fight Club? There's a lot of graphic violence tonight. Yeah. Is that what we're talking about? Um, yeah, this is our most serious episode ever. I This is one that I actually genuinely love, but that I genuinely love, but makes me incredibly uncomfortable. It actually brought up a lot of feelings when I went back to on... That's what I should have said my Geek of the Week was. On Wednesday, I went to the Guillermo del Toro Monsters exhibit. That was your Geek of the Week last week. That was my Geek of the Week last week. Sorry, it's the same week in my brain. <laughs> Yeah, it's only been like three days. Um, since yeah, exactly. Recording. It yeah. was it was less than a week ago, so I guess that so, kind of works. Yeah, and it was the Pan's Labyrinth exhibit part. And I think I talked about this. I'd forgotten how violent Pan's Labyrinth was, but it is one of my favorite movies. And now, like, I look back at it, and there was just so much realistic, like, distressing violence. Like the whole premise, but. Uh, about that movie is devastating. Mm-hmm. Like it is a devastating film. And um I think part of that is that one it's about kids and that's something that I really struggle like I if there's anything about like a pet or a child dying, I'm just like pretty much a write off. I'm like, "No, oh, I don't think I need to see this movie." Like I've that's, never even seen Harley. That's me with animals. Yeah. <laughs> like I haven't seen, when I, I thought Shadow was going to die in fucking homeward bound i was like no (laughs) you do not do this movie you do not do this to this beautiful dog like and then when he comes up at the end and he's bounding and he's literally homeward bound and it's just like anyway we're not talking about that (laughs) anyway what are we talking about pan's labyrinth pan's labyrinth (laughs) so with pan's labyrinth what the first thing that like gets you is that it is such a fantastical story and it's one of the i'd say like ultimate um ultimate examples of del toro's uh theory that you know the monsters aren't the monsters it's mm-hmm. you know the perceived monsters i should say and it's always he always makes it the most normal looking people are the monsters and in this case it's that you know stoic pale man army um captain yeah, the captain yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. who has no empathy whatsoever he impregnates that woman specifically so she can have a son so he can have a legacy i think at one point he might have had feelings for her but those were just wiped away by like the the power that he like he he is in love with power and the i think he is attracted to the fear he sees in people's faces when he's like about to 
destroy them. Like when the one soldier kid puts his hand up when they're rebels in the in the forest and they've been trying to like they've been holding out in the forest and they're trying to break through the barricade and like take them take him and his army down. And he's like watch this movie. I haven't seen yeah, this shit since it came out. He yeah, puts his hand up and they've beaten him senseless and he's just like he's the last one of his friends to survive. And the guy just like looks at him, puts his gun up to his hand and shoots him and the bullet goes right through his hand to his head. And like oh, yeah. when they torture the poor boy that they find out was delivering news to the to the rebels and they like just leave him absolutely like it's it's torture porn to the max. Like I remember watching it and just being like <gasps> cuz it's the kind of thing that takes your breath away not because of its beauty but because it's so grotesque that you don't know what to do except to gasp. Yeah. Shit, there's a Criterion collection edition of Yeah. Yep. Nice. And when they shoot the good doctor, I'm doing so many spoilers. And then when the mother dies, and like when remember when they put the ginger root underneath in a bowl of milk to help her mother sur- like survive the pregnancy, and then the captain finds it and he like he hits the daughter and throws the thing in the fire and it screams, and then the mother immediately has starts having a miscarriage. And he demands that you save the child instead of the mother. So he, he like demands them to cut the baby from her when she's so weak and like doesn't give a shit that she's dead, and is just left with you know this tiny tiny girl who doesn't know what to do now. No one will like help her because he's commanded them all like that she's nothing, she's no one. And I think he planned to like just have her dismissed all along. But anyway. So, um, Christy tells the story of Pan's life. It's just, it's so, and then, like, just the, the, the actual, like, this is why Christy found it a tough sit. Yeah. I don't know if it's actually Pan or if it's, uh, like, a worker on behalf of Pan as the fauna, but even the guy, like, the guy with the hands was a really tough sit for me because he was so creepy with the eyeballs in his hands. He was so disturbing with his, like, skin hanging off his body, and, like, that fits another thing in my visual, like, discomfort. And then when he bites the head off the fairy and she's like, no, no, no. And he, oh God, there's so many things. There's just so many things. And then the ending is beautiful in its own just horrible way. And you never know if it's in her head or not. But anyway, it is gorgeous, wonderful, horrible movie. Holy, speaking of gorgeous, the uh, the girl grew up. Did she? Holy shit. Yeah. Anna Baccaro. Yeah. So I was just looking at the movie to see if I could see the plot synopsis. I'm trying to remember <laughs> specific stuff about it that Christy's not mentioning. Well, it's one of those ones that, that doesn't synopsize very well, right? Like it's it's much more about the visuals than it is. Yeah, I mean, or, I mean, the visuals Ophelia. are so crucial to to the telling of the story. Yeah, yeah. I forgot her name was Ophelia. That's yeah. right. Yes. Oh wow, she did get older. Yeah, she <laughs> is. Pretty. As people tend yeah, to she's do. Pretty. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long time. She's like 24, 23, 24 now. But yeah. Yeah, she up right. So, <laughs> Christy, you've already sort of uh, given us an idea of the reward, but it's just just like over the overall like artistic achievement of the film is oh. mainly the the reward for you. Well, that we're getting through it. It's the artistic achievement and the story it tells. It does tell, mm-hmm. and it just like a beautiful story of like imagination and healing through like the the terrors of a war torn country and how like a child can maintain their innocence even through the end. Nice. Like it's just, it's right. beautiful. It's just so sad, but it's so beautiful. And like the opening shot when the blood's draining down that you see it at the end of the movie, it's like, Whoa! so who would you recommend 
Pan's Labyrinth for? I would recommend it to people who enjoy a really good story, but can handle some gruesome details. And people who really like fantasy and who love the sound of Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, that's one I'm gonna. Uh, I've I've added yeah. to my, my movies list of movies to rewatch. Actually, I I feel like that's one where I f- I can justify getting the Criterion edition. Mm-hmm. And it's the music too is so worth it. Like I've listened to that soundtrack so many times. Yeah, I used it in a play I did once, which is you know probably bad for trademarks, but meh, I didn't make any money. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Only if you actually profit off it, Christy. You, I'm guessing you will go back and watch Pan's Labyrinth again. Yes. But it would be, it would continue to be a tough set. Okay. All right. Mark switching from movies to TV, which I'm about to do as well. So, okay, cool. Um, my, my one is Oz. I don't know if anybody else has Fuck, sat through. Yeah. <laughs> not, not in a long time, but I did. No, and that's the thing. And I watched it. Like I, I watched it when it first started hitting DVD. I didn't catch it. Like when I was on HBO, what is the DVD box sets came out? Mm. Um, it was kind of the first, it was their first big prestige show HBO, right? Like it was, yeah. it, it predates the wire and it predates the Sopranos. Like, to HBO's kind of like premiere, like adult, really fucking grim uh, Dramas, kind of yeah. drama series. And it is like, it is that and it holds up really well in terms of like the writing's excellent. And the acting is for the most part, like spectacular, but it is like the, the most oppressive fucking feeling oh, yeah. watching like more than two episodes of that show at a time that it took me. I still remember watching it. It took me like two months to watch it. Cause I couldn't watch more than like maybe two episodes a day about? before I was just like, Okay, so the the basic premise is that their life it's life in like the worst supermax prison in America. So like the worst like violent offenders and like the worst racists and rapists and Yeah, so like rapists, mur- like brutal like serial killer kind of murders, like brutal yeah. fucking monsters like um like white supremacists and Islamic extremists and stuff like that, which they don't play up too much because it's kind of pre-9/11, so they don't really have that like real gusto for okay. that kind of stuff yet. Like it's not like ISIS, but there are still like, yeah, like Islamic gangs and all that other kind of stuff going on. And it's just like these guys surviving more or less in what is a pit of the worst people like that humanity has to offer. And it's just like, it's fucking horrifying to watch because you start off watching it by following. I can't remember the character's name. I should have looked it up, but the main, like it's not, he's not the main character, but he's the through line character. And he's just like a, like blue collar or no, like a white collar guy who gets like arrested and put in jail for drunk driving. Okay. Yeah. And he ends up in this supermax, like they call it Oz because it's like the Emerald City. And it's like the ultimate, like super, supermax kind of facility inside of a supermax facility. Like they're the worst of the worst okay. of the worst kind of thing. Like the one percenters of fucking criminals are in there and he gets thrown in with them. And like, he's just this normal, like white collar guy who gets thrown in there for drunk driving. And he like just becomes like you, you can, you watch him as a background character throughout the rest of the show, just become like one of them kind of thing. Like he goes in totally normal and terrified for his life. And he makes it through the whole show because he just adapts to the surroundings, but he's not even recognizable as the same person mm. by the end of it. Like, yeah, even by like his own family and shit. I think yeah. like, doesn't go. I think he gets, I think he gets out at the end, but he just like, can't adapt to regular life anymore because of dealing with this brutality for like five or six years or however long the show lasts. Yeah. And it's not some like, there's brutal like rape scenes and stuff like that in it that are like super uncomfortable and torture to watch. and fuck and they torture and like they do like and there's some brutal murders where like they 
they get really creative about like crushing glass and feeding it to people. So they just bleed to death slowly from their intestines and all that kind of stuff. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's like the, like the most vicious show I'd ever watched. Like it probably is still to this day. Like the most. Is that Ian McShane? No, no. Uh, It did have a lot of, uh, what ended up being big name actors on it. Yeah, J.K. Simmons was in it as a white supremacist. Yeah. And that dude who's always in like, I think he was an SVU, that tall guy, the tall bald guy. He was in there too as a white supremacist or something like that. And um, the guy who played Mr. Echo on Lost was in there yeah. as like a giant rapist because that's what pretty much what he did. I think Well, the movie that, was he a BC? No, I can't remember anymore. But either way, it's like the hardest sit to get through. Ernie Hudson played the... He plays the warden. Yeah. Yeah. Harold Perrineau was uh, Augustus Hill, who was basically like the vehicle character. Yeah. And um, who's the guy? He plays the vulture in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think he's in there, too, actually. Uh, I, can't remember. I can never remember that guy's name, but he's in like everything. He played Dennis in 30 Rock, too, for why I remember. like Terry Terry Kenny that played McManus? I think, yeah. He, yeah. he, he was like the guy, I think, that you follow through everything. Yeah, yeah. The McManus, exactly. Yeah. Like that, like because he's the one who gets the fed the glass, I think, at one point, like in season five or six. Um, all I can see uh, it's been so long I barely remember yeah I, I mean I have impressions like, of it but I don't remember the storyline very tightly I don't remember the the story very well I just remember sitting through it and just being like this is yeah like harrowing to get through and it's so and the, the big thing is too is like like a movie like it lets you go like you get two hours or whatever right yeah Oz is like this is a long fucking series like it's like yeah okay it's 13 episodes six per season, season yeah but it's six or seven seasons long so you're just like inside this world for a long time and it's kind of a tough world to inhabit even if you're sitting at home watching tv kind of thing like you just kind of yeah, get involved absolutely. with what's going on and oh fuck it's horrifying to like kind of deal with yeah i don't know what else to say about it except for like i don't know if i would recommend it to anybody like if you're really into like long form drama and you like i would say like if you like the wire sort of thing like there's a lot of yeah, uh, overlap there. there's some crossover there but it's like it's so much bleaker than the wire like i'll recommend that anybody watches the wire because it's like it does end on a note that is not like completely hopeless whereas yeah. oz is just like the prison industrial complex owns us and we're fucked and it's like yeah, yeah and it still does it's 2017 it's been God only knows how long since the show went off the air. It went off the air in 2003. And guess what? Nothing's changed. It's still probably worse now than it was then. Yeah. So what's, what's the reward then you've, you've definitely sold this on why it's tough to get through. Um, it's just like an extremely well-told, well-written show. Like it's that HBO quality, like that you would get, especially back then, like HBO stood for a different kind of quality in TV early on as that reputation is kind of waxed and waned over its life kind of thing. But like, I think those first bunch of series like Oz, Wire, and The Sopranos like are still like the best examples of like us entering the golden age of TV, like where TV got fucking really good, and it's like consistent acting, amazing writing, and just like really high production values for a TV show that you would never have seen on like the old broadcast networks. And I mean, they've been forced to step up their game in the interim because of HBO and like now Netflix and all that kind of stuff, but this is the first time you saw that kind of stuff and it's really well put together. Yeah. So like technically or like artistically, it is like a really well done show. It's just, it is a slog. Like this is like, when I say slog, this is like the one time where I actually mean it is a long fucking like road to hoe kind of thing. So absolutely. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever get back to it? I don't think I'll ever watch it again. I don't think I'd ever sit through it again. Like all those other shows that I've mentioned, like I've sat through again, like I've watched the wire a couple of times. I watched the Sopranos almost like, biannually at this point just because i like i like the characters i don't like any of the characters on oz yeah i just like like the writing's so good that i kind of like i think it's a good show and it deserves to be watched 
But like repeat viewing? No, probably not. Yeah, fair enough. My next one sticking to TV is one that we've talked about a lot lately and is is a tough sit for different reasons than I think we've sort of discussed so far. And it's Twin Peaks. Okay, mm. we'll get into the Lynch. Good times. Yeah, so I said we we're going to get into Lynch. Twin Peaks is a tough sit, not necessarily because it covers like really brutal subject matter or particularly like difficult topics kind of thing uh or some of it is can be can be a little weird there's some weird like incesty shit that goes on that's very creepy in the early seasons that you but they don't really it's more but it's alluded it's more just unsettling than anything yes it's it's tough it's tough to get through for me because of the style of storytelling uh especially like considering when i first saw it which was uh you know maybe around like or like early 2000s or something that was yeah probably that's when i saw the first time too Twin Peaks. When it first came out on DVD, I think was when I, which was like what 2002, 2003. They first put those two, the first no two idea. seasons out. I, I torrented it. I'm positive. I yeah, I'm know. sure I did too. But like, I remember them putting it out at one point, and that's kind of when I picked up on it. Yeah, and I think it was a lot of people talking about it was like when we could get access to it. Also, yeah. was the other thing, and people had always talked about it in reference to one of my favorite shows, The X Files. Right, like it kind of fed into that. So yeah, when I got absolutely. around to watching it, I was like, oh yeah, okay. But it is a different. It's a very different style of show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's both that it is unsettling in a lot of ways, uh, because that's just what David Lynch is a master of. Um, and also that it borders on non-narrative storytelling a lot of the time. Yeah. And and a lot of the performances in it as well are really just sort of stilted and you're never quite sure if you're supposed to take it seriously or not. So yeah. it's it's really a show that is constantly treading the line between like realism and farce uh and you get a and yeah it borders on camp in some spots and it's it like does. this is really weird yeah and, and it's not the sort of show that you can watch if you're really obsessive about every storyline being like tied up with a nice little bow kind of thing yeah because and that's where like sort of the non-narrative aspects of it come in yeah and, and it's just one of those feeling one of those shows that like when i watch it i just I'm never sure what to expect. I'm never sure what I should be taking at face value and what I should be reading more deeply into. And it just puts me off guard when I watch it, which makes me feel weird, but is also the reward for me. Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. Lynch has got a a style all his own that you can't like, I think his, like that style of storytelling kind of feeds through most of his Mm-hmm. work like it's very prominent in lost highway it's very prominent in mulholland drive as well mm-hmm. which are both movies that i was kind of like honorable mentions kind yeah. of tough to, to get through i didn't even think about twin peaks in that way like where because the content like he softens the content of it by it's the most narrative <laughs> of any of his things but it's still it's the most straightforward of any of his projects it's by, the most like, accessible lynch yeah. it's still not very accessible it's not particularly <laughs> accessible no, no not at all I have not seen any of this stuff. It's oh if, man! If you're gonna get into Lynch, I would. Try, I think for her, Mulholland Drive would be the first one I'd tell her to watch. Maybe, yeah, I could see that. I see. I think Mulholland Drive would be good for her, for Christy first, and then if she the likes Mulholland that, Drive? yeah, because it's go smaller into, and like, easier to digest, I guess. Yeah, yeah, mm. but it's still a giant mind fuck by the end. Like it, you have no idea what the fuck's going on at the end of it. Yeah, or you could, like there's there's hints to it, but it's obtuse would be never explicitly tells you which is exactly which also twin peaks does but it does still have kind of like a thing but either way my point was like um he he disarms like how grim everything is like how Mm -hmm. like dark the world is by that campiness though like he by using that like oh these actors are acting in a really weird stilted way and is it intentional or not like it it takes you out of the seriousness of the situation so 
I don't know. It's just, it's a really strange sit. Like even rewatching it when I was rewatching the first two, like the old seasons, the original seasons, I was like, this is a weird thing to sit through even now where like you would think that kind of storytelling would become, would have become more commonplace. Not at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Lynch just does Lynch and that's kind of it. Like he just does his own thing and that's kind of his, his bit. Yeah. It's a film student's like wet fucking dream. Like just oh, does yeah. the weirdest shit. Like, all the time and you never know if it's for a reason or if it's just because he felt like doing it that day kind of thing because it's lynch and he just you can't make sense of him but ultimately i mean i've already talked about like how sort of the reward is is that it does sort of keep you off guard um but the the other rewards for me is that this is one of the most captivating and thought-provoking tv shows that i've ever seen the way that it plays with like imagery and surrealism and that it does leave things really open-ended and really up to interpretation. It makes it a lot, a lot more open media than we're used to on television, right? Because it leaves so much more up to the viewer than you're normally used to with a, with a TV show or even a movie. Yeah. It doesn't anger the shit out of you by doing that. Like lost it. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Uh, Yeah. It it never promises that it's going to tie anything sort of thing. And a lot of shows have tried to mimic Twin Peaks over the year, but aspects, but none have really captured the sort of essence of it overall. So I think this is Lynch probably, I I don't know if it's, I, I, this is probably my favorite Lynch overall. I I think it's his most, at his most creative because it's a whole sort of world that he built. Like this is his middle earth or his, you know, galaxy far, far away kind of thing. Right. Is that there's so many characters and there's so much depth to it. Some are, some would argue that all his movies take place in the same universe. There is that, that, that theory behind Lynch's stuff too. I was always a, uh, I'm a lost highway fan. I like that. Like it's so like the, the, what like what am i trying to say the uh because of like the the non-narrative kind of storytelling but like the really dark visual aspect of it mm-hmm. i really enjoy it's got a very noir kind of feel to it which yeah. a lot of lynch is very influenced by that stuff but i find that's the, the one pulp. where it comes out yeah. the most also lost highway also benefits from the fact that it has one of the best soundtracks in the oh, history yeah. of time that we did not we talk about in our soundtracks when we do our next uh, best soundtracks it was uh, it was on my it was on my longer list just because like it was completely curated by Lynch and Trent Reznor like yeah. they actually put the whole thing together together so yeah that was pretty interesting to me but yeah like, Twin Peaks I got to get through that new season uh, I know I promised you but like eighteen episodes when yes. I was sort of like going to look at it this week <laughs> I was like holy shit eighteen episodes of that I don't know if I'm gonna do that in like two weeks that's but it, that's it, heavy it's it's amazing that for being 25 years removed from the original series how well it still captures that same all that same essence of the of the original yeah, well he piece. brought a lot of that production posse yeah. back so and i think I mean, that kind of helped him out yeah so uh, i would recommend twin peaks for uh anybody that was really into x-files and wants to see basically the like 80 percent of the impetus for it yeah for sure or also like lost or any other like heavily serialized character driven genre drama that came after twin peaks owes a lot to twin peaks so it, yeah. if, if you're a fan of that sort of field of television shows then you owe it to yourself to go watch twin peaks even if you're not a lynch fan i would say yeah agreed so yeah uh all right we are coming up on two hours maybe let's all try and get one more in and then we'll close out so let's go back to christy give us one more of your tough sits so i'll go with and i've talked about this one before too the seventh guest uh the (laughs) computer game yeah mostly because i found it traumatizing to play when i was a kid should not have been playing that game should not (laughs) have played that game uh when i was a child wasn't that one of the ones you listed as like one of your favorite games 
When did no. we talk about that? God, never. I can't remember. I don't know what episode. I can't remember what episode we we talked. I remember you talking about seventh guessing very vividly, but I can't remember under what context we were speaking about it. I don't know either. It, I remember talking about uh, something. Anyways, go on. But anyway, so it is that game in itself is if you could try to go back and play it now, hard sit just because it has not aged well. It is not aged well. <laughs> it was that. It was that green screen acted Ugh. stuff, like those. Oh, games. like the old like the old night trap on or, Sega yeah, CD, kind of yeah, or, or the original Mist games. Yep, mm. where they tried to like do something really, really new, and they were like, "This is the way video games are going to be going." And they were and, so and wrong. They, and they did not at all. Yeah, yeah, so wrong. I'm surprised how many of those were made. Actually, excuse me, but we don't talk about them anymore because they are They're probably. You know what they were? They were actually pretty cheap to make, apparently. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, think about it. You just had to make paintings, pretty much, yeah, and set pretty, them uh, against them, yeah. and then hire a bunch of shitty actors to do yeah. the FMV in between. Hey, Tim Curry was his seventh guest, wasn't he? No, no, he was in my one of my other ones that I hated, Frankenstein. Right, right, right. That's on my list as well, underneath seventh guest. But <laughs> no, so seventh guest was hard because um, when I was a kid, one, it's not kid material, and it's like a horror game that's all about. This Henry Stauff, who made a deal with the devil when he was a uh, like dying of starvation and hunger, as a like a he he was like stealing and he was a, a petty thief, and the devil came to him and was like make these toys for children, and the whole idea was that once a child took a doll that looked mysteriously close to them, and that's why they loved them so much, they would lose they would die of a mysterious illness, and their soul would be trapped inside the doll. And Stauff would collect the dolls and keep them in his mansion atop this hill. And one uh, something that he was supposed to be doing, excuse me, was uh, he had this dinner party for six guests. And the one to last the night would get their ultimate wish, which, you know, was different for each of them. One wanted to know if there was real magic. One wanted her youth back. One um, man wanted to be with, desired by all women and there was just like there were two good people and there were mostly terrible terrible people um in the house and you play tad who is actually and i'm going to spoil it you're the seventh guest but because you have never been able to escape this house because you keep being unable to save the boy running around the house who ends up being you you've been reliving this is your purgatory and your hell because you've never been able to figure out how living the same life over and yeah. over but you have no idea that it's you're watching yourself mm-hmm. which is the worst part because you're constantly in this loop thinking that you failed this boy and then you die and you come back and it happens all over again so the deaths were really quite gruesome for the time and there was a lot of sexual content but it was compelling because of how twisted it was you know in that weird way that like you're it's when you see a car crash and you're like oh like you rubberneck because you don't really want to know what happened but you do yeah excuse me so it was like that's that. 90 percent of the stuff we're talking about watching tonight yeah. i think kind of falls into that category right yeah, yeah. Of, oh oh why am i watching this but why am i, I not am, how like, can i why can't i look away <laughs> Yeah, why can't yeah. I hit stop, right? Yeah. And like I feel like there is yeah, Tim, well you while you guys were talking, I went and like just looked up a little bit about Irreversible and it came across the scene and was like, Oh, I can't watch this. <laughs> Which I was one? Just like, the, oh, that's a lot. The fire extinguisher um, scene? 
No, I didn't watch that. I watched the, the rape, rape scene. scene. Oh, the rape scene? Oh, yeah. that is. And I just like turned it off. I was like, probably no, the most that's brutal enough. rape scene I think I've ever seen in a movie. I don't uh, think. I don't actually. Think or at least that, most brutal, realistic yeah. rape scene. The thing is that I'm not sure you're doing anything for cinema by showing that kind of scene in a film. I'm not that, sure that, that was. That was part of the argument that got made a lot when that yeah. movie got released. Like a lot of people were like, there may not actually be a point to doing it that graphically. No. I get that he was going for Which reason. I guess in and of itself is kind of the point, I guess, then to start the conversation yeah. about it. You know what I mean? So but but, there like, are ways to start the conversation without causing yeah. trigger effects. But anyway, you know, yeah, for sure. Well, I can only imagine sitting in the theater like like watching that and having gone through that kind of experience. It would be yeah. Like I was fucking horrifyingly uncomfortable sitting there and I've never been raped, obviously. So I like, have no context for it. So I can't even imagine what it would be like if you had context for that. You know what I mean? Like personal context for it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, seventh guest. Yeah. Seventh guest. <laughs> yeah. So seventh guest. And the thing was, I was playing with my sister. So I wanted her to be able to play it as well but she never wanted to play the scary part she only ever wanted me to play it and she would watch i think i've told this story before yeah and then she would like make me put the headphones in at the scariest <laughs> part That's what this. she was was like being in the the basement where he would like anytime you got a dead end in the labyrinth of the maze in the basement he would go, you'd hear stuff in your headphones going feeling a little sometimes i want to like i want to message christy's like sister on facebook and just yeah. be like i want to congratulate you on the <laughs> thorough job traumatizing your, your little sister you need to have amberly um, on the podcast at some point yeah no, for sure no <laughs> for sure refute everything i say oh okay no christy's just being a baby yeah yeah that's exactly <laughs> what'll happen and i'll be like no ptsd <laughs> And then she'll be like, don't make fun of PTSD. It's a very serious disease. And I'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, so that was traumatizing. But at the same time, that deter- I'd never felt so determined to finish something. Because I was like, this game has to have an ending. <laughs> like, there must be an ending. So it was more a drive to finish it than a like love of the game. But I would recommend that if you are a classic game aficionado, you should play it. The puzzles are really tricky. Like, real tricky. And this was, like, before there were accessible walkthroughs. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, pre-internet. Where you'd have yeah, to, like, so I, buy yeah. a game guide if you wanted to get... I had a book. ...had trouble with. Yeah. Yeah, I had a full book. But I remember sitting there for this one amoeba puzzle, which is the only one that's based on luck, and just, like, clicking through it. And I played it. I had to play it for like three days, just like sitting there and then I'd have to leave and I'd come back and I'd try to beat it. And I just, I was like 12 of 13. I didn't understand this stupid game. And I just like sat there and was like, I will beat this fucking puzzle. I will brute force this logic puzzle. Yeah. And the thing (laughs) was like to Amberly, even though it was, you know, horrible, she was pushing me to finish this game, not only because she didn't want to play it because she was scared. But also because she she wanted to see us succeed, you know, like she wanted it. It was a thing that we did together. I was going to say it's because she's a sadist. No, <laughs> maybe a little, <laughs> but not really. But she it was just funny because like when we finally beat it, I she wasn't even in the room when it started because she was like 
freaked out. So I had to like call her and be like, Amberly, like it's happening. (laughs) But she was really good at the puzzles. So what she would do is she'd make me walk through the house and then she'd just play the puzzles. (laughs) (laughs) She'd do the easy parts and. Uh, I wouldn't call them easy. The puzzles were very hard. The most dramatic parts. Yes. (laughs) So it was, you know what? It's a hard sit. Because it is a hard game and like the puzzles are sometimes so difficult that you don't even want to do them. But it goes back to that idea of that determination where you're like, no, I swear to God, I will defeat this. And so if you really like hardcore challenge, it's a good game to do. I'm actually hardcore really challenge. proud of you for uh, bringing up like we're doing this topic and you ha- you didn't bring up Andromeda. So congratulations. <laughs> I don't think there is a reward in Andromeda. <laughs> yeah. I think it's still too soon. So before All Christy, right. well, wait, you already said you'd recommend who you'd recommend it for. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever play seventh guest again? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll watch an LP of it. Maybe and watch someone else go through the torture, but it's so bad. Now there's this one scene where they're on a bed and you have to solve a puzzle on a bed in a red room in a scarlet scarlet's room, whatever her name was. And she just moans, and it's just like echoey moaning. And I was like, even this is shitty. Like, you don't even know how to moan. <laughs> it was just, and then one guy loses his head and becomes a goat head for a second. It's just very weird. <laughs> like, he becomes the goat head. And like, I hate goats. So, like, it's just, there's a whole bunch of you stuff. Hate goats Ugh, for? I hate them. Okay. They smell your fear. They know. <laughs> Fuck it. I don't know what it is. Goats always charge at me. Always. Smell like a female goat, maybe? Oh, no. Isn't that a sheep? <laughs> Secondly, why are you around goats so much? Well, petting zoos, they happen. I haven't been to I don't. Okay, fair enough. They're the worst. Baby goats are okay, but when they grow up, they're just the worst. <laughs> anyway. Then, right. Mark, what is your last for this time tough sit? Oh, I was going to talk about music, but I think I'll forego it until we go into it. We do the next episode. I had a bunch of stuff I was going to talk about. But like the, the only other movie I had on my list, and it's more recent... And I think it may just be because of who the actor was that was kind of doing the lead of it. But have you guys seen Green Room? No. 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 Okay. So Green Room is about a bunch of people who show up in a like a small club kind of uh, as they're backpacking through, I want to say England or Scotland or something like that. And they end up in a what is ostensibly a white supremacist club. And the leader of the white supremacist is Patrick Stewart. Ah! Mm-hmm. And they end up kind of getting like attacked and tortured and beaten and all that kind of stuff just because of like they just showed up at the wrong place at the wrong time. And it is kind of one of those, like, they survive, like, some of them survive and some of them get brutally murdered and all that kind of stuff. But it is just kind of like that you could walk into the wrong place at the wrong time kind of feeling that, I mean, it could happen to anybody. And you get stuck in this room with a bunch of neo-Nazis, which is kind of a terrifying prospect and very fucking topical and realistic for at least one of the three of us these days. So, (laughs) Christy, Christy. hanging out in all those (laughs) Nazi clubs. Guys, I don't yeah, want to talk yeah. about my personal life on the podcast. The, uh, <laughs> all right. But yeah, no, it's just, it was just like, I think there was some kind of punk show going on. Like they were going to see a band or something like that and the band, whatever. So it was just, it was very like, for me, it was very triggering, not triggering in a bad way, but like, a like it was something I could relate to. Cause like you could just show up at like some tiny, and I go to tiny clubs to see shows all the time and you go show up at a tiny club and then you're surrounded by neo-Nazis would be a very off-putting kind of milieu to be in. So. I think I just leave that club. Why would you stay at that club? Just leave that club. The problem is they stop them from leaving. Like, that's what mm-hmm. happens. You know what I mean? Like, they try to leave and the guys are like, why are you leaving? Blah, blah, blah. And then it turns into, like, the fiasco that it turns into. If you haven't seen it, like, I don't want to spoil it because it is worth sitting through. And Patrick Stewart, 
puts in a totally against type villain performance, which I was really surprised by how squicked out I could be by the guy who has been ostensibly like, like one of my father figures kind of growing up because he was Picard and then he was professor Xavier. And even now just like following on social media, like I, I think he's like the best fucking human being going kind of thing. Cause he just does random things like foster pit bulls and stuff, which I think is amazing. He's very outspoken and like the yeah feminist movement and amnesty and LGBT national. stuff and all that other stuff. Yeah. And he's best friends with Ian McKellen. Yeah. Like he just wanted like he I, he's like I want him to be my grandpa kind of thing. He is pretty amazing or whatever. Alicia wants yeah. yeah, Alicia wants Ian McKellen to be her grandpa, so you'd be related. Yeah, there you go by knighthood. I guess is that how we <laughs> how be related? But yeah, no, like it, it's 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 kind of a it's a weird sit to get through uh, that movie. So I think. Uh, Sam, you would definitely like it. Like, it's definitely yeah. something you should check out. It's something that's been on my like on the edges of my radar for a while, okay. but I've never. Yeah, this is the first time that I'm really hearing like about the content. It's I've heard the name before, but that's about it. Yeah, I'm surprised you you missed out on it, especially because yeah. it got a lot of pull. It was kind of like I want to say it was it was probably the last horror movie before Get Out that got enough attention on like kind of an alternative horror kind of side mm-hmm. of things where it was getting mainstream attention, so that I picked up notice of it. And then when I found out Patrick Stewart was in it, I'm like, well, I'm fucking obviously in for that because I'll watch him. Like, he could read the back of my fucking edible package and I'd be like, that sounds amazing, Mr. St- like Captain Picard. I mean, Mr. Stewart or Sir Stewart or whatever. The right honorable Mr. Stewart. Sir. Exactly. Knight so there, Stewart. So, yeah. So, Green Room would be one I would recommend people go through. Even if it is a little, like, it's a pretty graphic kind who, of. Who would you recommend it for? I think this would be the one that I could actually recommend almost anybody. Like, it isn't as, it's not as. Uh, off-putting or oppressive as like a Requiem for a Dream or something like a David Lynch movie or Irreversible or something like that. Like it is, it's uncomfortable and like that kind of stuff, but it is still kind of a more of a straight ahead thriller than anything else. It's just the, the sequence of events and like what gets them into it and like how they kind of land into a very realistic, plausible situation mm-hmm. is really off-putting. So it sounds a lot like Red State to me. It, yeah, it has it has a lot of aspects of it that are kind of yeah. similar to Red State. Red State's a good example too, actually. That's um, I feel like I would go back to Red State, like Green Room. I don't know if I would go back to because it's super graphic. There's a lot of the violence in Green Room that's not as, I mean, Red State doesn't necessarily have that like super gory yeah. like cut ups kind of scene, whereas Red Green Room kind of does. Red State's also a little more pulpy, I would say. Yeah, or, I mean, I I haven't seen Green Room, but it yeah. yeah. Red State actually like is arguably Kevin Smith's best movie, like in terms of like how like actually putting a movie together, I think it might be his best one. There's others that are like they're funnier or they're more like resonate more with us in particular kind of thing. Yeah. But like, I think red state uh, is arguably like objectively the movie that he did the best job of like making an actual movie out of. So, but we can talk about Kevin Smith at some other point when we finally get Christy to finish watching chasing. Amy. I have seen chasing Amy. Okay. But you haven't seen one of them clerks Clerks. and you need to see clerks. It's an hour and a half. Christy of amazing filmmaking or at least amazing writing. Yeah. There's that. Well, there's the the acting (laughs) a little hit or miss, but it's a miss. Jane Silent Bob bothers me. They bother me. Jay. You don't like Jane Silent Bob? No, I like Silent Bob. I don't like Jay. Oh, okay. He's annoying. Jay's at, uh, he's hardly in Jane's or, uh, he's not really in Clark's very much. Yeah. He does have like, the best line in it. Well, no, Randall's got the best line in it, but he's got one of the just, best. Lines I think I got it, annoyed so. with the like scoochamadooch or whatever it was. See, this is so early in that chronology. He doesn't really do that that much in that there's movie. Like it, it, that gets things. more pronounced. Yeah. yeah, there's one. It gets more pronounced in Mallrats when it starts to turn mm. into a fucking cartoon. Yeah. 
that's when it gets really bad. But like in Clerks, they're not. It's not that bad. Yeah. And will you go back to watch Green Room again? I don't like have any real reason to. Maybe at some point I might see it on Netflix and be like, oh, yeah, I could sit through that. But like, I don't see any reason why I would. So. All right. My last turn is I am going to get into music. Uh, I did have more movies I could get into, but this one was particularly topical because a movie, it was an album that I just re-listened to this past weekend and found that I was starting to enjoy it. Uh, and it's one that we've talked about before on the podcast. It's uh, Radiohead's King of Limbs. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Which I've, the first couple times I listened to, I found uh, pretty inaccessible. It's tough sit because it's very different than in rainbows which is its uh, predecessor in radiohead's discography it's pretty experimental even for it's it's even for radiohead which is saying a lot it's probably their least accessible album overall and it i mean it uses a lot of stuff that they've never really dabbled too much into before and particularly like sampling which is, is pretty jarring i think for a lot of people and uh some electronic elements although that's not particularly foreign for radiohead mark i think what really makes it the, like the most difficult is that its structure isn't rock anymore whereas like i think kid a and uh amnesiac are like have that kind of experimental electronic kind of bloopy bloopy like side of things but they're still the songs are still structured like pop songs weird pop songs but they're still structured like yeah. a standard rock song it's whereas king of limbs like chorus verse chorus or verse chorus verse yeah kind of thing. Then starts to veer into some progressive or jazz or like fusion kind of stuff yeah. that is a little bit more it's more it's inaccessible like it's, it's different to listen there's to definitely if you're less not structure uh, to the songs yeah exactly which makes like if for a mainstream like a regular person listening like this sounds really fucking shitty and pretentious but like if you're not like a music kind of like nut or whatever it is it can be very jarring to go into King of Limbs and be like, there's no, there's no grounding for you. Yeah. A lot of the it's time the same way we're, in the yeah. song. It's the same way when we started out, we were talking about like how we're so ingrained in, in storytelling conventions. And when something di- digresses from that, we're not used to it. And therefore it feels yeah. foreign. Even if we can't identify why it feels foreign. This is the same yeah. way. Like if you start getting to songs, you know, if you're not like a real big music nerd and you're not really, cognizant of what's going on in music that does not fall into progressive yeah exactly then then you hear something that doesn't fall into that sort of formulaic music style which 95 percent of music uh, honestly tim it's probably like 99 percent like it's so much of it just falls right into that like first course first yeah pop structure like it's almost impossible to get away from that yeah, I think like the reason why King of Limbs didn't like I, it didn't jar me as much because by the time King of Limbs came out, I had started to veer into the stuff that I listen to now, like the ISIS and Neurosis and yeah. Mastodon and like that kind of progressive side of things where things tend to kind of veer off and go for seven minutes and like yeah. drone and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I was like, less. Yeah. And I listen to like, yeah, and you're like, like you're a weird, power pop guy. World power pop. But I also listen to like weird, like I listen to a lot of jazz. I do listen to a lot uh, yes, of like right. weird, like math rocky kind of shit too, which yeah. is very much like not does not fit into that kind of structure. Yeah. I always felt like King of limbs was them uh, channeling stuff like uh sugar Rose or um, black emperor. <laughs> Fuck. What's that band called? Unspeed you black emperor. That's what oh, I was yeah. Yeah. That kind of weirdly like structured music kind of stuff, mm-hmm. like alternative, well, not even alternative, but like kind of indie alternative stuff. It was like mid 2000s y. Yeah. I felt like that was kind of what was also inspiring Radiohead at that point. So, yeah. Because that stuff was floating in the ether a lot, especially like the Shigaros and uh, Godspeed was like all over the place at that point. So, yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, King of Limbs was, I mean, it was also probably, or it was one of, if not 
the worst reviewed Radiohead album, which is yeah. praising by Faint, Dam- Faint Damnation. It's, you know, all Radiohead albums are pretty well regarded. Even going back to like Pablo Honey is still like pretty well regarded in retrospect. Yeah. King of Limbs is also the one that has not quite gone through that like reevaluation that a lot of stuff yeah. kind of, it hasn't kind of cycled back around. I it don't hasn't think had quite its yet. Renaissance. Yeah. Cause like, I know like Kid A and Amnesiac got a lot of like flack from like people like me, especially at that point who were like, this is uncomfortable for me. And like, they're doing different. Weird, like, I don't like shit, it. And it's, it's different. I don't like it. Off my lawn. Exactly. But that also opened me up to all that kind of stuff too. So like eventually you get into it, yeah. but I don't know, but, I don't know. I'm thinking eventually, I think in the next couple of years, you'll probably see King of Limbs get reevaluated in a certain, in a way that holds it together. I always liked King of Limbs. I never thought it was their strongest, but I never like hated it. So, yeah. I, so for me, re-listening to it this weekend, again, like while I was taking down Christmas decorations, I was re-listening to it. And the reward for me is that the latter half of the album actually is pretty strong. Yeah. It's got a couple of standout tracks, which is for starters unusual because usually you've got your standout tracks in the like a side of an album out of front loaded, yeah. yeah the i think this might have been my like third full listen and by the time i got through the whole thing like the last two tracks on the album um give up the ghost and separator both i was really happy with i was like well, mm-hmm. they're solid songs you know maybe it doesn't form like a cohesive album entirely yeah. but those two tracks i was like yeah these are ones that i will probably go back and listen to again they're more stripped down and a little more sort of classic Direct. radiohead yeah they're not they yeah. don't have as much of those like mark as mark says bleepy bloopy uh shit to it kind of thing uh, but it, it feels more like maybe like amnesiac kind of thing. Like it's not, yeah. not, not as sort of experimental and, and non-formulaic kind of thing. So, yeah. So I, I was, I was happy to find that I'm starting to warm up to some, a, a few tracks on that album. That's cool. Like give up the ghost is probably my standout track on that record. Yeah. Um, it's also nice. Yeah. 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 So I like that. Yeah. Like I said, I never had a problem with that record particularly. I like it. It's just, it doesn't stand out as as strong as in, it wasn't as like in Rainbows was a nice big return to form. And I feel like they finally took that step forward. They needed to with Moonshape pool. Mm -hmm. So I feel like King of limbs was kind of like that middle redheaded child that just didn't get it proper attention paid to it almost kind of thing. (laughs) A lot of the same way that um, hail to the thief was kind of one of those like in betweener records for them where it's just kind of like it's there and it's fine, but it's not like really moving the whole thing forward, I guess. Yeah, I can I can see that. I I don't know if I entirely agree with it, but I can see why some people might say that. Yeah, but I I would recommend King of Limbs, uh, sort of in my current point of view, uh, to people that are fan or fans of more experimental electronic music that doesn't necessarily, as Mark and I discussed, like uh, hold true to the sort of verse chorus verse. If you know, if you are not off put by that, it's going to be more accessible to you than if you are off put by that but in particular i would say if if i had to say like if you like this uh, this radiohead album you'll like king of limbs i would say it's closest to amnesiac overall yeah yeah um, agreed so i find, i find yeah i think uh it, it has i tie it to amnesiac and hail to the thief a lot like i find like they're yeah they companion that record pretty like tightly yeah. so so and would i go back and listen to it right now i'm i'm probably good on sitting through the whole thing it still doesn't strike me as a cohesive album overall yeah. but it's definitely got high points so i'll go back to certain songs probably i don't know if i'll go back if i'm you know really eager to go back to the whole album at any point all right well with that we are a little past our two hour mark so unless you guys have anything to add i think 
I think this is a topic we can get more mileage out of. So I think we can uh, oh, hold yeah. off on honorable mentions and stuff like that. I've got at least two or three more that I could talk about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think like I, we, didn't, we didn't talk about any of the music stuff I wanted to yeah. talk about. So I think we definitely have a part two in us for this one. And so. one thing that was surprising to me. I have like five other things already on here. Yeah, was that we didn't get in, into any of the like the really cringeworthy comedy stuff like curb your enthusiasm or the office or that sort of thing where they can be tough to get through but there's a lot of comedy there if you're okay with with feeling uncomfortable in that way yeah i think the way you framed we framed this initially like that didn't really like pop into my head as something to talk about like the first time kind of thing like yeah maybe we get to it the next time i think the first time covering like the really like just dour hard to like really hard to get through shit yeah. like that's kind of what we wanted to get into tonight yeah. so mm-hmm. so all right well if you are still with us you do get a prize of some sort you get to listen to me rattle off our social media yay yeah so if you like what you heard you can send us an email at dance robot dance podcast at gmail.com so like that uh, i can't remember i lost all my cookies our facebook is it's dance robot dance podcast just the backslash and then yep. you type all that in <laughs> forward, slash, forward, forward slash god forward damn it it's not slash. backslash <laughs> and our twitter handle is drd underscore podcast. podcast and you can find us on stitcher or google play store or where apple, Podcast. apple podcasts or shout engine or i think spotify now are we on spotify now no we're not on spotify not spotify, on spotify has don't a don't look this on spotify is a, a difficult fucking uh not to crack apparently mm-hmm. so i'm working on it son of a bitch someday we'll yep. be on spotify maybe but yep. thank you so much for listening guys and we look forward to your feedback if we missed you know some particularly tough stuff uh, that you have had trouble getting through, then let us know. I uh, would be happy to hear. And that is about it. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Tim, and we say goodnight, Mark. Good night, guys. Say goodnight, Christy. Good night, everyone. And go watch something hard. That's what she said. That's a weird comment to make. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>